Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Friday, January 26th. We are here live. It's time to jump in and join us. I've got phone lines open. I'll give you the phone number today because it is, that's the same one we finished with yesterday. Uh, We decided to start with that one today because I couldn't figure out what the problem was this time with our other phone system. So here we are, 855-950-3835 is the number to join us. Uh, I forgot to check on the call now button. I don't know if we repro, probably not because I hadn't made up my mind which system I was using till this morning. So uh, dial the number, jump in and join us. Those phone lines are open. It is a free for all. I believe I'll be joined by um, somebody today. We haven't heard from him yet today, but uh, Joel, Henry, Alec, haven't heard from John again in a couple weeks. We'll see. Uh, Go ahead and jump in and join us. We'll get started on calls right away. 855-950-3835. About the only thing I have to open with um, today is the latest update on CMC 2.0. We are relaunching the CMC in a very, very big way. It is now the Certified Master Carrier Program. And this by far is the biggest program I've ever put together. When I say I, I mean us here, uh, but I, I do the majority of the work on the content itself. And then our design team jumps in and all the other details that have to happen. We also have two new big partners for the CMC. In fact, it's um, why we are relaunching it now and the way we're relaunching it. We have partnered with truckstop.com and the Mid-America Truck Show. So CMC 2.0 is now a hybrid program, meaning there will be live events. The first one will be in just a couple months uh, at Louisville, the Mid-America Truck Show. It will be a day and a half. And then two weeks after that date, we will start on the virtual part of the program, which lasts the entire year. So every other week, there will be a virtual Zoom webinar. Uh, I am covering everything I have learned about trucking in the last 40 years and and business and finance and uh, so many things from the very beginning, the first step, do you really want to own a truck? Are you ready to own a truck? We'll cover all those things. And then all the way through to the idea of the program is to teach you how to run one truck as profitably as you can and then show you if you decide at that point how to grow a fleet and do it right. Buying the second truck is more critical than buying the first truck, and there's more risk in buying the second truck. But if you do it right, there is almost a foolproof way to grow a small fleet. Um, I can say the first truck is foolproof. Our system works. It absolutely works. It's a lot of work. It's hard, but it works. You can run one truck very profitably when you learn these things. I can give a guarantee that that works. 
The second truck, I really can't. I can show you how to do it right. I can show you how to minimize your risk. But growing that fleet is harder than making that first truck successful. And part of it is because now there are some things in the operation that are out of our control. We have to put a driver in that truck. Uh, and drivers have always been an issue in this industry. A little easier now, but it uh, that will always be uh one of the big factors. So I'm excited about this program. We, I've got a lot of work to do. Uh, I have all the content. It already exists, it, it, but there's a lot of work in getting it organized, laying it out, scheduling everything. Um, we talked yesterday about the fact that the, uh, some of the things we're, we're working on in this program, a big one is uh, if you use truckstop.com's load board, you know that there are certified brokers, TIA certified brokers. Um, we are working with truckstop.com to create a Let's Truck certified carrier. So a lot of really good stuff going on. Here's probably one of the most important uh, details about this year's program at Mid-America Truck Show. Now, remember... Ultimately, this will be, it is a one-year program. What we're allowing people to do at Louisville is get a preview. You don't have to sign up for the year-long program. You can sign up just for the event at Matt's. Very, very inexpensive. It's $100 for a day and a half worth of really solid information. And then if you decide to go on to the year program, you can do that and sign up. And we will make that as easy as possible. That is also a great value. The CMC itself was $1,800 a person. And you had to get pay for your travel and your hotel for the event, all those things. Um, we have doubled the content in this program. There is twice as much content in this program as there was in the original CMC. And we've almost cut the price in half. We're able to do that because we're delivering uh, a lot of this content virtually. So it will be a $1,000 ticket for the year. We'll have a payment option. You'll pay a little more if you want to do it in payments. We want to make this as easy as possible. Here's the important thing to know about this first event at Louisville. Uh, because it's our first year partnering with them, and we, we are getting kind of a late start on this, there are only 200 seats available. Now, next year, if this program is successful, and I'm positive it will be, there will be more seats available next year. But this year, all we're going to be able to do is 200. So... Uh, I'm telling you that now, we, we don't even have registration open yet, but we are having multiple meetings every day putting all of this stuff together. We had one at 7 o'clock this morning uh, with Mid-America and Truck Stop uh, to get this thing going. So there's not a lot of time left, and uh, I want to release details to you as we get them so you can start to make up your mind. The, the first thing to decide is if this is something you're interested in, um, you, you want to be ready to sign up because I, I have a feeling uh, these 200 seats might go fast. Our last CMC had over 400 people there. Uh, so that uh, that's the latest. Like I say, we will keep updating you as we, uh, as we go. And when we have details, we will get them to you. I did hear from Aaron. The app is now updated for the phone number. In order to make that call-in button work properly, what you need to do is just restart the app. 
Just close it out, restart it. Your call-in button will now be correct, and it will get you in here to the show. So jump in and join us or dial 855-950-3835. I might as well talk about the one piece of technology that I am using new today that uh, doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with this audio issue. I'm positive of that. Um, I did finally get the... um, our new mobile router activated. And I got to tell you, if you are looking for the most bulletproof mobile internet you can get, I think uh, we've got the system. Actually, I have to give Aaron credit for this. Aaron was the one that kind of put all this stuff together and um, figured it out. And uh, I got mine up and running yesterday. Now, I don't have the system completely set up properly yet. I didn't have time. There are some tweaks I can do that will make it even more reliable the way it's going to be set up. But what it is, is it is a, uh, a mobile router, really small too. It's not that big. And it allows you to combine multiple signals into one with, Um, what they call failover and redundant backup. So the way I understand this, once I get it set up properly, it should be almost impossible for me to have an internet problem because we're, we're combining so many different internet signals. In this one box that I have, I can combine up to four signals into one. So Potentially, I don't have it set up that way right now, but potentially it will have my Starlink, which is really stable and fast. Uh, either right now it has an AT&T SIM card in it. I can potentially and may add a Verizon SIM card. And then I can also grab uh, my other home internet, which is the... Um, Uh, the fiber internet, I can grab that Wi-Fi signal and bond that into this as well. Uh, Pretty impressive. Uh, I I did some, uh, a lot of testing on it this morning for stability and speed and uh, really incredible. Now I had a a device similar to this when we first went on the road um, that did the same thing, bonded our satellite that we had at the time with uh, some Wi-Fi signals. The crazy thing about that one, um, they kind of told you that it would multiply speeds and it did the exact opposite. It actually ended up defaulting to the speed of the slowest internet you had in the system which was fine i don't need a lot of speed to do the show i need stability so it worked great this one though is nice i'm testing it i actually got increased speed um my uh my speed this morning was like 200 megabits a second really um really good for this setup uh and it will see it should be very very stable so that eliminates one of our issues I think I've eliminated most of our equipment issues. It really is just the phone system every day. And I'm just not sure why we're having so many problems because both of these phone systems are systems we've used for years. We go back over 10 years on blog talk. Uh, That's what we're on today. We're not having a problem, but this is the one that um, I couldn't get to work yesterday. So I don't know. I I, I am seeing more and more problems with our supply chain, our infrastructure, our economy. I was just looking at uh, a company that makes tiny homes this morning. 
um, we we have room over on our property. Um, some and I love the whole tiny home concept out here. They make fantastic vacation rentals. There's just a lot of companies getting into that. So I've been researching these companies and I, I loved one I saw today. And in their introductory video, one of the things they talk about, they can't even quote pricing anymore until you are under contract uh, and in the system. Because they said what's happening is one, they can't get things to build their tiny homes. They said windows now are, are over 20 weeks out and they are ordering stuff. And before it comes in, the price is changing and going up. And it's making it very hard for them to even quote prices and timelines just keep getting longer. I don't understand all of this. As our economy slows down, we hear of all kinds of companies have laid people off in the last year. We've lost a lot of people in trucking. What's happening? Where, why aren't all these people going to work somewhere? Everybody must need help. What? What is the problem? Why, why does our economy and our infrastructure seem to be getting worse? It seems to be deteriorating. You know, I, I have to wonder if these problems we're facing on these two platforms that we've been using for years is simply because they don't have enough people to maintain things. It's what I'm starting to believe. Uh, anyway, the phone lines are filling up, so... Uh, I think I'm going to get to the calls. Let's um, let's try Jeff in Wisconsin again. Jeff, you with me this time? I am. Can you hear me, Kevin? I can. All right. Um, I hate all the hassles, but at least every day we manage to get on live somehow. No, I'm grateful for you. Did uh, Morgan send you that uh, oil sample? I do have the oil sample. Boy, I got to take a, a look here. Um, it looks like you let uh, your kindergartner loose with a box of crayons. Oh, really? Yeah, why, I'm wondering why we have so many colors here. Everything seems to be focused on wear metals. Um, oh, I get it. Okay. I thought maybe you couldn't see it. Anyway. Oh, no. I, I just, when I see this many colored blocks, because the colors show some sort of an issue, uh, this is more color than I normally see. Um, sure. I'm trying to figure out what. Hence why I'm calling you, I guess, so. Yeah, so this is a um, this is a Volvo. What year? What engine? Twenty-four Volvo. Uh, yeah, Volvo engine. A twenty-four. So these miles are original. Seventy-five thousand miles on the truck and fifty thousand yep. on this oil. Yes, and one two gallons of makeup oil. You know, through that because I changed up. Oil at 25,000, and then at 50, I changed the filters and added a gallon, and then at 75, or whatever that number says there, I changed the filters and added a gallon. So on this particular truck, how much oil did, did we, do we lose a lot of oil when we change the filters? Are you adding just because of the filter change, or is this thing burning oil? I mean, I don't think your filters hold a gallon, right? Yeah. So I, I am actually a little worried about this engine, and all we can do is wait and see. There's several things that are really concerning to me. One, the new modern engines being built, I, I've talked about this before, 
are, in my opinion, phenomenal. 40 years of owning diesel engines. Every diesel engine I've ever owned, brand new, rebuilt, no matter how good you rebuild it, nothing mattered. All diesel engines burned oil. Usually, the the tightest diesel engine would burn a gallon in about 15,000 miles. It was pretty normal, and, and that was normal. We just always knew you were going to add oil to a diesel engine. That stopped several years ago. The ring designs, materials, manufacturing processes, they now build diesel engines that just do not burn oil ever. They're like cars now. Uh, so when I see one that is using oil brand new, that is a concern. It's usually an indication the rings didn't seat properly, but what we're seeing in your first sample is a lot of upper cylinder wear. A lot of these metals are coming straight from the upper cylinders. We have zero lead, so there's nothing going on on the bottom end. The copper is going to be leaching out of your oil cooler, and we don't have to worry about that, but you have high iron high chromium, really high nickel, and high aluminum, uh, and high tin. Those are all indicators of upper cylinder wear. Your silicon level is also at 15, which would indicate that there's a lot of dirt in the engine, or because it's still a new engine, that that might be some stuff out of the original build, but we, we normally don't see that on a new engine. We see it on a rebuilt engine. Um, I, this is is not a good first oil sample. I, I'm really concerned so, about this one, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, it, it is. It is a, the second oil sample. I screwed up and put the wrong name on this one compared to the first one. Do Do you have the first one available? I'm I'm looking at it right now. I wish I would have sent it to you, but the what only is thing the that's what? On it what's the is, number up in the top right corner? Two. Well, that's better than this one, which isn't necessarily a good sign. Uh, Where metals build up. So you took the... the, What was the nickel is 5, aluminum is 19, and the silver is 3, and then potassium, it moves over, is 42. And then, of course, you have the base that was... What was your your silicon on that first sample? 15. 15, it's still 15. Uh, so on the first sample, we had wear metals. Second sample, the wear metals are even worse. This could potentially just be break-in, but we normally don't see these kinds of numbers even on break-in. I don't want to scare you, um, but uh, these these are unusual numbers. We might want to uh, – have you changed the oil yet? That's why I'm calling. I don't. That they're saying to change the oil, and I just wanted to make sure that I should do that. Absolutely. Uh, okay. One, because there, if this silicon is dirt, see, silicon could be dirt, or we can pick up silicon-like substances from some of the chemicals, sealers, things like that as the engine's being built. Like I said, we don't typically see it on a new engine. We see it on rebuilds a lot. But if that silicon is dirt that got in there somehow, we, we've got to get that out because that's exactly what causes these wear metals. And, and we want to get the wear metals out so we can reset and see what's really happening with this engine. Um, if it were only the wear metals, 
I might say, well, it, it, maybe it is just break in. It's nothing to worry about. Uh, but I'm concerned about that oil consumption. Like I said, the, the new engines just don't use oil. So right. two signs that, um, that worry me a little bit, but all we can do really is change the oil. Uh, I would take your first sample after you change that oil at 15,000. Let's get one in early and see what the trend is. Okay. That, what oil was in this truck, do you know? This is that stuff that Joel wrecked, the Chevron Dello 400 XSPFA slash 4 5W30. Stuff that I get from M- Michigan MD. Yeah, which which is a great oil in that engine. So, I, and, and honestly, even yeah. though I say that, it shouldn't matter. Um, the oil would never be the cause of this. So, I, I just sure. sometimes it helps to know um, what the okay. oil is. Um, but do you think? Do you think I'm okay to take it 500 miles to go to MD? Absolutely. Or should I have them ship it and change it right here before I go any further? No, 500 miles, 5,000 miles isn't going to matter. 50,000 probably isn't going to matter because we either have a a goofy build where something went wrong with this engine or we don't. And whatever we do at this point isn't going to matter. This isn't something we could fix or we just have to try to identify what is going on. So, yeah, if it's much I'd rather see you go to michigan md so yeah the 500 miles no big deal at all okay okay i will do that and then i'll do it test it again at fifteen thousand, and then send it to you again and have you look at it again how about that yep absolutely now the other thing um you might just want to contact your dealer already on this oil consumption and just kind of log it in that you're concerned about it. The OEMs all have their own process of, if there is oil consumption, they will, they will um, in my experience, almost every OEM has a, a, a form and a method, and you will start to track your fuel consumption against your oil consumption. And then they have a formula that says, if it's this bad, we will rebuild it under warranty. But that is, if this is a weird build where the rings didn't seat or something's wrong with the top end that we're getting all this wear, the only fix is an in-frame. Okay. I will. Yeah, I got, my, I got a good relationship with the Volvo and Eau Claire there, so I'll... I'll I'll call them. Yeah, you know, uh, my first experience with this, and it was actually kind of shocking, was uh, when my father bought his last truck as an owner-operator, it was his first brand-new truck ever. And it was a beautiful Kenworth, that Liberty Edition cab over, uh, big Cam 400, just just a beautiful truck. And his first truck in his life, and he was um, in his 60s by then. he bought it, and within the first uh, 50,000 miles, they had to do an in-frame on it. No kidding. So, yeah, that's terrible. Um, if they, there's nothing they can do, the Volvo dealer I'm talking about, if I tell them about this oil sample, that it's so terrible or whatever, right? 
Did I mention that to him, do you think? Oh, absolutely. That That's the point. That That's the reason we're contacting okay. them, because we're seeing two things that are unusual for a new truck. We're seeing oil consumption, and we're seeing way too many wear metals, in my opinion, in this first sample. So, yeah, we want to contact them and kind of put them on notice, and then they'll let you know what you might have to start tracking for warranty. And, and the reason I bring it up and... and you know, contact them before we're sure about this is because this process usually takes weeks or even months for them to track, decide if they're going to cover this under warranty. So we might as well put them on notice right away. Got it. Okay. I will do just what we talked about and then uh, I'll send the cop the other one at 15000 So Perfect. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very I appreciate you. You're welcome. Talk to you soon. All right, let's go to uh, Minneapolis. Travis, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Doing good. What can I help you with today? So I've got a 2020 VNR 64T640, so it's not a VNL like Joe likes to run. I've got the VGT motor. I did put the air dog on it. I've got the blow below system put on underneath this truck. I pull a Conestoga. I have a fleet air filter. And throughout the summer, I was pulling like 8.2 miles to the gallon. And the things that I considered, you know, like with the release of the new Volvo, I kind of wish Joe was on uh, to be able to pick his brain on it. But if I step, I'd step up and spend the money on a VNL 6x2 with the turbo compounding motor, how much more am I going to see? I know a guy that runs around, does virtually the same stuff I'm doing with the older, the, the Joel's body style. He's pulling nine four. I mean, I realize that the, this new body style is so new, but I'm just kind of wondering. I mean, this truck's got 356,000 miles on it. Um, I track every drop of fuel that goes in versus every mile that goes on. I run super singles. I literally just switched my trailer over to super singles, the Michelin uh, X-Line or x one T2s. I'm running the Michelin super singles on my drives and the, the X1 line energy Ds, the super fuel efficient ones, Michelin steer tires. I mean, I don't know where else to go. And am I, am I about maxed out on this truck at 8.2 in the middle of the summer? You may be. Um, we might be. I, I, I'm not hearing anything big like there's nothing left that's going to help us get another mile per gallon. So if you're looking at, you know, the possibility of, of building a new one and getting nine plus, that's certainly possible in today's world. Uh, whether or not that makes sense to actually go out and, and build a new one, uh, it might. It, it really depends. Um, mostly... Uh, did you buy this current truck new? Yes. Okay. So buying new trucks I mean, I is certainly uh, within your your means. You're financially stable right now. It wouldn't be a big deal to buy a new one? I, I, I'm going to give it about a year and a half on this new body style, I think, just to kind of let them sort out some of the hiccups. Um, I'm definitely mad at myself for not looking into the turbo compound when I bought this. I bought this truck in May of COVID, like of 20. Oh yeah. And my wife okay. looked at me like cross-eyed. I thought I was insane, and I was. But it, it's well, never missed a beat. I did the first overhead at, or I'm sorry, 150, and I literally just did the second overhead at 350. Um, and I did a couple other little things like Joel talks about getting the uh, the injector torque bolts pulled, uh, injector pull downs retorqued, and I did I cleaned up the 
camshaft position sensor. I even cleaned up the intake sensor. You know, and I mean, I, I look. Don't I just, don't I beat mean, yourself no, up no, over no, buying no. this truck. This is not a bad truck at all, and you're doing eight plus. Um, the idea of yep. giving the new model a year and a half, not a bad idea. There, there's nothing wrong with keeping this truck that you have right now. And and at some point, a year or two from now, certainly upgrading to a new one shouldn't be a problem. And I do believe that we could probably add a mile to a mile and a half per gallon with the new one. Yeah, the guy that I know that's got the 860 6x2, he's pulling 9.4 for Q3. I haven't been able to talk to him since q4 came through but i mean it's exceptionally warm up here it's 37 degrees in minnesota today which is never in january yeah, right I mean, we're normally at 10 below yeah so i i realize that i'm running different fuel and i'm i'm getting eight. low eights or upper sevens or low eights right now for fuel economy but you know you never strive to just be satisfied i always look at different ways Oh, yeah. Try to increase my fuel economy. You know, the only Um, thing that I really haven't done, the only thing that I don't think that I've really ever done with this truck is I haven't put the OPS-1 on it because I always had the intention of replacing this truck. And I think, you know, my 50th birthday is next summer, so I think I'm just going to order that truck and then just go to Gonzo on it and just, you know, put the OPS-1 on it. And, and like, really, like, try to drive down. Do you um, you have a flow below on this one? I have flow blow on the truck. I do not have uh, I do not have the wheel disc on the trailer. And the reason why is when I bought this trailer it came with duals. I wanted to burn those tires up. I literally pulled the trailer out of the shop this morning and had it realigned and of course that's the reason why my tires burned up. So I've talked to Chris over there at Flow Blow. Um, we're gonna I gotta get some measurements and we're gonna get the wheel discs on the trailer itself because it changes the, the center cap pieces and stuff. Okay. how they attach to the hub. So, I mean, there's a couple little things. Um, but, yes, I do have the flow blow on the tractor itself. Okay. Um, yeah, you're... you're and, and you, the only other... Go ahead. The only other thing that I can think of is, like, a flatbed skirt. And I found a couple, and I just... Not very impressed with how they're built. I'm, I'm not a you big know. fan of most of the skirts on the market either. Um, I, I haven't done any research on them recently, but um, not a big fan. And on the flatbeds, it's almost worse because there just aren't that many companies doing flatbed stuff. And So, yeah, I, I don't know if I would go there yet. Um, we don't have Joel this morning, but we do have Alec. Alec, good morning. Hey, guys. Good morning. Good to be with you. Were you, uh, bit to, to <laughs> were you listening to this yep, call? Yes, I was, and I am. Okay, what what and, what are your thoughts? Um, in anticipate. Well, um, so your friend's six by two. Is he pulling a Conestoga as well? Yep. Okay. So all the same freight, I, like almost literally same okay. freight, and and I run all upper Midwest, Minnesota, mm-hmm. North and South Dakota, Iowa, and Wisconsin. So it's not like we're climbing major, any major hills, and we got a couple small grades, but nothing like nothing mm-hmm. that I need to worry about. You know, this truck's got a two sixty four with a VGT motor in it. I run it down the road. I know that everybody says, oh, they don't have a sweet spot, but this truck likes 62 miles an hour. So everywhere I go, yeah, yes, it does. I'm loaded or empty. That's right. Know. 62 is the sweet spot for the 264. So one of the things, you know, a big difference between the trucks is the 6x4 versus 6x2. I don't know that it's going to make up the 8 tenths of a mile per gallon that you guys are seeing. However, uh, what I would recommend for you more than I would your, the other gentleman 
is to take advantage of the Dana Spicer oil that's got some extra lubricity that's going to um, cut down on your rolling resistance. So that, that is one thing. The other, and maybe you've already done this, sounds like you've been very um, diligent about you know getting everything right, so I applaud you for that. Um, I don't know if you've taken advantage of a Dr. Preload. No, I have not yet. Um, okay. So that's something that I would uh, recommend, and that can make a big difference. Um, to give you an example, when I went to uh, Jim Fowler's shop up at uh, Michigan MD Alignment, we lifted the tire and, and spun it. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but my, my trailer tandem tires could not even make it a full revolution. And, uh, and then Jim did the Dr. Preload, and it went, I think, three and a quarter times around uh, before it stopped. So that's a huge difference. That could make up your entire eight-tenths of a mile per gallon difference. So that's something, I think, to investigate. It, it, otherwise, tightening bearings is a very inexact science. Uh, it's, it's, it's down to an art form, and you'll never find any one tire or wheel end the same. So that's one thing. The last thing that you just had your um, overhead run very recently one of the things that I always recommend is getting a cylinder balance test. I know that you mentioned you retorqued uh, your exhaust plungers, and that's a great, I'm glad you did that. Um, but a cylinder balance test acts as, as the quality control step. Again, that's like an art form as well, and you never know whether it's been done right. Um, Joel will frequently talk about getting something within spec, and then this getting something optimal. So. As you probably know, Joel is, is uh, he's OCD about getting things really dialed in and perfect. And the same thing can be said about doing an overhead. It can be within spec or you can get it optimal. And there is a wide range. You can actually hear and feel the difference. So, and it's not very expensive to do. You know, dealer can hook up to the, uh, to the diagnostic port. You run the truck for 15 minutes and uh, they'll get a, a cylinder balance test, and then with those results, and I always suggest getting them printed out so you have a record, or uh, take a picture of the screen so you have some documentation to see if the overhead valves are adjusted properly, and then take it from yep. there. So those are my thoughts. This is the, the dealer that I get all my service work done. Uh, I had them pull a after-treatment report showing how mm -hmm. often my system has cycled and stuff like this. And I was, before I realized, like even recently, how close this new body design was coming, the salesman pulled up, he can access my computer from his desk. And mm -hmm. he couldn't believe, I mean, I realized that 9% isn't great, but I start my truck every morning. I shut it off every night. I plug mm -hmm. it in and I'm at 9% idle. And when they pulled this report, the technician that had my valves run or did my valves, he said he's never seen a truck that the after treatment is regenerating as properly as this one is. Now I'm doing things like I'm running the EDT every day. Uh, every time I fuel, I run the I run the diesel extreme cleaner. I know Joel says every 10,000 miles. I do it every quarter because I don't know. Maybe I'm just being cheap. Probably more so than anything. Uh, maybe I can step up my uh, diligence on due diligence on that portion of things, but. Uh, so I am doing all of that stuff, and I mean, I know that the truck is running right, and I know that I'm burning the maximum amount of fuel um, that, that I can, and even when I'm empty, I run 62 miles an hour, 
Like, it's just, this truck just loves 1,100 RPM. I mean, it just, it does. I mm-hmm. put it down to 58, mm-hmm. it'll, it definitely won't pick it up, but it's always constantly shifting. I push it into manual, it just, it doesn't seem like it likes it as much as mm-hmm. just leaving it at 62. So, so, you said that Dana Spicer oil, is that just for the rears or is that for the front end too? Uh, it is for differentials. Okay. So that's where that would go. And, of course, it does the wheel ends as well. Um, yep. So, um, shit. Kevin, I saw I a shiny out. I, <laughs> I don't expect to get nine and a half with this truck, like the 6 by 2 turbo compound that my this guy that I know mm-hmm. has. I, I realize that the VGT motor is not as efficient as like the turbo compounding motor. That guy runs a lot faster than I like to run. I'm in a pretty set of dedicated route. I, and the guy that I know mm-hmm. does great with his truck. I mean, he's got the, uh, the problem that I have with doing the doctor preload is I never leave, I never go past like Green Bay. So I don't ever get into Michigan ever. I've never had this truck since I bought it mm-hmm. in three and a half years in Michigan. So I don't know anybody in Minnesota that, or even in the local area that's got doctor preload in the upper Midwest. Otherwise I would have already done that. You know? mm-hmm. Well, so it might it might make sense for you to give Jim a call, and if I'm not mistaken, um, I think Patrick Philman also now does Doctor Preload. Um, you might he what he just changed his name from Diesel Brothers to something else, um, but that may be a shop that's and if I'm not mistaken, he's in Wisconsin, so that might be an uh, an option for you. Jim is the first one first MD alignment shop um, to do Dr. Preload. He's done probably hundreds of these by now, but uh, Patrick is is closer to you. Uh, I don't know if Patrick has the Dana Spicer oil. Jim certainly does. Um, but sometimes it just makes sense to just uh, drop the trailer. Well, excuse me, I guess you can't. Uh, you know, just deadhead over there and uh, get yep. that done and looked at. Um, okay, and you can also brothers, you uh, thought his name was? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it used to be called Diesel Brothers. Are you in the uh, Volvo Truck Masters Facebook group? No, I should get in that. I'm not on Facebook. Yes, you should. Oh, gotcha. Well, <laughs> that's almost the only I reason I'm, I'm involved with it. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you Google Patrick Tillman with two N's, he's, he's a strong supporter uh, in the Volvo Truck Masters Facebook group, and, and he's going to be closer to you. But, like I said, he may not have the full suite of uh, oils and whatnot that uh, that Jim has. Ah, thank you, Rod. <laughs> uh, it's called Brisk Truck Repair. Brisk, B-R-I-S-K. K. Yep. Yep. And uh, so you may look him up. Um, and he can do a cylinder balance test as well. Um, he's very skilled, uh, and uh, he he can help you. You know, eight point four pulling a Conestoga with a VGT is not anything to sneeze at. Now, that's pretty uh, impressive. Like Kevin was saying. That's actually, it really is. Especially, you know, if that's your average with weight and everything. It, it's really good, actually. Um, yeah. And you're doing everything right. 2.64, that 62 just gets into overdrive. If you do go slower, it wants to downshift your right. You can definitely put it in manual if you're empty and deadheading. If you want to run 58 and lock it into manual, I... I haven't done that with that particular setup, so I don't know. Um, actually, I do know. I had 2.47s in my 2011 Volvo, um, and in overdrive when I'm empty, yeah, it would rack up 16 miles per, to the gallon. It can actually be quite happy. But 
that's flat. I mean, it, you yep. know, if, if you pull an anthill, you may just have to uh, downshift it into 11th and crest that hill when you're that low. So, um, but uh, I don't know that you're going to get nine. Uh, I would rather doubt it. Um, like I said, 8.4 is, is quite respectable, uh, especially pulling that parachute behind you. But you, you yep. might make sure that everything is, is optimal as opposed to just within spec. And certainly Patrick yeah. can do that. Yeah, and the other thing that I did with my trailer is I always had a Dunadrack and a side box on it. And two nights ago I dropped mm-hmm. a Dunadrack, and last night I dropped a side box. So, I mean, we're even going that that extreme to clean up the airflow underneath the trailer. And then when I bought mm-hmm. this trailer, I it had the complete closed-in back end, and I spent, I don't know, $1,500 to cut it all off and open it wide open and let the air breathe through. Because you get those guys with the big Peterbilts, and they want to look all cool with their dragging their dragging their ass on the ground bumper and all that is is a big windbreak push another wall down the road why don't you so yeah perfect well that's kind of what i was i'll say hoping to hear i mean so. yeah and uh jim can ship that oil as well i know he, he ships it by the five gallon jug so um hey i yeah i, be my I lost track of the conversation for a second there because i was getting messages all over but i've got um i don't even know if this is relevant to the call anymore but i have two other locations for dr preload and i think one for the oil uh somebody sent me clark tire in iowa wacon iowa i uh, uses dr preload and uh matt's got some other ideas and i'm bringing matt on next so we may have some other options for you perfect all right that's all i got all right. Thanks Best for the luck. call. And uh, we will go to Matt right now in Alabama. Matt, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, yeah, a Karstison trucking in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. They're both a Pittsburgh Power dealer and a MD alignment. Um, they do have the Dr. Preload, but... Even on their own trucks, they don't use it. They're just so used to the torque specs because of the alignment. So, I mean, they will use it if you request it, but they're just more comfortable with torque specs um, as their most common way of doing it. But doesn't Mike actually recommend Dr. Preload? He says it is more precise because you're, the dial indicator on the Dr. Preload is exact i mean you there's no question but just torquing it to his specs isn't a problem they don't have issues okay interesting how can you they both work how how can you torque to spec if you don't have some sort of a dial to measure it or are they using it like on a torque wrench well yeah with a torque wrench and that's really Mm -hmm. all the doctor preload is Mm -hmm. you're it's just torquing it and it it's Mm -hmm. just a Mm -hmm. much more accurate, sophisticated number mm-hmm. than a torque wrench. Agreed. So, I mean, personally, I've never had the Dr. Preload tool on my trucker trailer, but they've all everything's always been torqued. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I won't say one's better or worse than the other. And I mean, that's basically what Mike says. It's they're both great, and as long as you're getting one of them done, you're 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 ahead of the industry. Right. You know, here's here's one of the things I would say, just knowing the the 
quality of labor and all the other things we're dealing with that that on something this and it can be tricky if it's not done right we've see we see it do being done wrong all the time i, I would lean towards the doctor preload because i bet it's more consistent that would be my guess too is there's really no question with the Dr. Preload, no matter who's using it. Right, right. I'm sure there are people that are fantastic at torquing it, probably get it right all the time. But but it, for me, I think if I could get the Dr. Preload without a lot of hassle, I would. I just think you're uh, you're more likely to, to get it done right. Oh. And then, yeah, the oil also, Carsison can get it. They don't stock it. But if you do your it, own, I ordered through Jim and yeah he'll ship a five gallon pail I mean it's it, it's hard when you got so many friends in the industry that have gone on to these I, you know <laughs> second careers <laughs> you want to support everybody but I know, you know as I, a one guy operation I can only only spread it around so much well Matt come on you just got to go buy more trucks <laughs> well yeah, it's a good go. thing Joel's not on here because I don't, I don't want to talk about new trucks with him because he might talk me into something I don't want to do. Hey, I got to tell you what. I'm just going to come out and make this statement. I know I'm going to take heat over this. I don't care. But I am going to make the statement that the new Volvo is the best-looking truck I have ever seen. Oh. I absolutely love the looks of that truck. It's interesting that they put the little mirrors on there even with the mirror eye i know i i thought that was kind of strange too because, well, i can tell is, you but it's one of the reasons satisfies a lot of yeah go ahead well one of the reasons is um some people have a fear of going to the mirror eye or whichever you know so, uh, a system that if you have lose power and it goes down then you have nothing so that what I think may be the reason why I, uh, Joel likes to have backup and redundancy, and you know I, I frankly uh, like the mirror eye system so much better that uh, you know go for it. Um, hey, I'm with you, Alec. But I, I I don't get the point of putting a mirror eye system on the whole. Well, the initial point for me is the aerodynamics the mirror eye is much more aerodynamic than any mirror we could ever put on there in a lot of ways the system i've seen is better i mean you have you have more visibility with the camera than you've ever had with that no matter how many mirrors you put out there and the downside is Mm -hmm. if it goes down i'm on the side of the road you know what I, i don't think those are the kind of things that go down all that often I, we'll see, but but you know our technology yeah. around cameras and that kind of stuff pretty simple and straightforward. We put cameras everywhere now. I, I don't see that mm-hmm. that there's any big risk that that is the thing that's going to leave you on the side of the road somewhere. So for me, yeah. why put this expensive, cool system on there that that improves our aerodynamics and then stick a couple mirrors back on there as a redundant backup? I agree. Uh, it's kind of like, do you gear, <laughs> do you gear a truck to run up a hill? Right, uh, right. Scintilla of a percentage of the time. I mean, it, it's, it, the analogy is exactly the same. And having said that, in a, as brilliant as Joel is, I'm going to use that in my next conversation. Um, yeah. But he is, at, he is at the factory right now driving one of the new trucks around on, on the track and at the customer experience center. So I may text him and say, hey, what's up? Yeah. So, uh, 
Uh, I won't get an answer back today. I know he's he's busy with that, but that would be an interesting question for him to ask. And it, it may have just been for the media, you know, the yeah. driving events and things like that. You know, so um, I would not get, you know, all uptight about the fact that they've got the, the mini mirrors and uh, I'm, you can get a truck without the mini mirrors and the hood mirrors and just get the mirror eye system. Um, that's how I would go. Running around, so, uh, hey. yeah. And that's what's I, nice I, about I well. the mini mirror is at least it's smaller. I would assume you could, other than, you know, opening the door, I guess, you could fold it in and it'd be tight up against the vehicle. Mm-hmm. and not use it, and then it's there if the camera system ever went down, which that, I don't see that as an issue anymore these days. Yeah, I really don't. Hey, Matt, before we, rare. before we get to your other topic, um, Alec, were you listening to the show before you came on this morning? Uh, just a little bit. Did you hear the call with the new Volvo and the oil sample? I did. 2024 I, Volvo. Ask me what... what? 75,000 yeah. miles on it, and the oil sample is a mess, and it's actually consuming oil. Um, I think your advice to him was spot on. Uh, I think he should also start a case and, and monitor that. It, it was concerning, but uh, I came in halfway into that call, so I didn't get all of it, but uh, your comment about contacting his local dealership and at least getting the documentation trail started, I think is spot on. Mm. I, I can't help but think that it's concerning. Yeah, when, you know, these things don't use oil anymore, and we don't see those mm. kind of wear metals. I, like I said, the silicon number being high, I don't know if that's because of the build or is there really dirt in there causing all this wear, um, But but that's just... We just don't see those kind of oil samples on new trucks. In fact, I can say I've never seen an oil sample like that on a new Volvo engine. Not once. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't see the numbers, but uh, I heard the discussion. I mean, my 2011 with 1.2 million miles didn't consume oil. So that, right. like, these engines don't typically consume oil. So um, something is amiss. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I think it needs to be investigated and documented. All right. All right, Matt, what do you got? Well, well, just to add to that, one other thing, you know, we don't always think about in oil samples and wear metals, the air compressor. That's true. All the same parts. You're right. And if the easy way to test that is, you know, checking your tanks. If you're getting any type of oil in your air system, then go right to the air compressor and look. But if that's a if good you piece, nothing but clean air in the tanks. Then you know now we're back to <laughs> back to the first step. Yeah, that's a good piece of advice. I like that. No. Yeah. Uh, so for you, Kevin, and just information. I don't know if it helps anybody, but or you. Um, <laughs> so I was screened and in at the beginning. Once Morgan screened my call and put me back on hold, I lost everything. I never heard you again, and I'm assuming when you picked up the first caller, I could hear him say something, but that was it. And then I heard the beep. You must have picked my line off, but that that was all I ever heard. I've never couldn't hear you at all once once I, I got put I, back on hold. I am I am just at my wit's end with these two phone systems. We used them for years with almost no problems, and now it's every day. I'm back and forth trying to figure out which one's going to work today. Yeah, it's <laughs> can't help you there. I, I I fight with technology on my own. I I am 
I get by with technology. Some people think I'm good at it, but it's I I can't stand it some days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hopefully, hopefully we we've we've really come a long way on all our other stuff. The equipment, the internet. Now uh, that's not going to be a problem. Um, we are hoping to to start beta testing our phone system uh, before the end of the month. We're still on track. Uh, we have meetings almost every day going over it. It's looking awesome. I'm really excited about it. Um, I just hope that whatever these connectivity issues we're having with these other platforms isn't a problem for us as well. But, it, but at least we have some control over it so we can dig into it and say, why are we having this problem and how can we fix it? It's almost impossible to get help at any of these platforms anymore. Uh, so we'll see. So you know, I have to believe we also use Zoom a lot. I, I've been on more Zoom conferences in the last month than than I care to count, and we never have those issues on Spaces. We don't really have that issue. The only issue we see on Space and Zoom is if somebody's internet connection falters or slows down. But there, that's not the platform's problem, and we've eliminated those kind of problems on our end. And we're using the same technology to make our connections as like Zoom and Spaces. It will not be a phone call. Now, we're, we're working to set up a phone call as well. But if you primarily, we're going to want people to connect through the app going forward. And that is not going to be a phone connection. It, it, that's probably the difference between these two platforms we're trying to use that are phone-based and Zoom and Spaces are not phone-based at all. Those are just what's called internet protocol. So we're hoping that's going to be the difference in our system. Uh, and then Alec, to follow up, last week we were talking about our fuel cost percentage compared to revenue. Yes. I talked to a guy this week that just Blew my mind, blew our numbers out of the water, 11.6%. Now, he is in a specialized deal. He's a flatbed, um, direct shipper, and he's doing a lot of the labor, too. He loads his own trailer, unloads his own trailer. So he's he's doing very, very well on that side. Yeah, so what we have yeah, there is I, not necessarily somebody who is getting better fuel mileage to, to make that percentage better. They're getting better, better revenue. Well, I uh, exactly. he, he originally contacted me about buying a different truck. Um, I don't know the year, but an older 379P with a cat engine. Loved it, been happy in it for years, but he bought one of the used Maverick trucks, Cascadia, and direct drive and all that and jumped about three miles to the gallon last yeah year. nice <laughs> no so I, that, that helped so matt i i was also thinking while i was walking my dogs this past week and i i was thinking about that 15.1 versus 15.2 percent of revenue from the fuel cost and i don't think we did it right and the reason why i say that is i don't just as kevin suggested if the revenue is higher and your revenue per mile is higher than our general van freight. So I, I think the best analysis, I, well, let me preface this. I was thinking that just doing, you know, comparing cents per mile for fuel is a better way to do it. But even that's different because, you know, fuel cost down in, in Alabama and wherever you, 
Yeah, so that can change and how much bio is in it, and that brings it, the price down. So I'm not sure that that can be wholly accurate comparison either, but I think it's more accurate than hey, saying 15.1 or 15.2%. Hey, Alec? Hey, yes, sir? You just gave me an idea for me to give you some homework. <laughs> I didn't do the last assignment. <laughs> I won't hold that against you. I just got thinking about this. So there's actually three ways we could measure this. Fuel cost or fuel mileage, the fuel consumption. So we can measure miles per gallon like we do in the app. We measure cost per mile. That's already done. Both of those are already done in the app. If you're using profit mm -hmm. gauges, we would also know your percentage of revenue easily those are three different ways of looking at this could we come up with a formula or that would be like a, a ratio is not the right word what's the word i'm looking for um, some way uh, to, to for comparison some way to create a formula out of those three that is more comprehensive than any one on its own you know what i mean yeah so, but I think what has to happen, so, you know, for us to compare, you know, taking Purple Haze to compare it against uh, a specialized operation on a mile per gallon basis would be uh, asinine. So, Correct, right. I, I think it, it's important to compare apples and apples type operations. And, and then I think, you know, looking at a percent of revenue would be more accurate, but it's still... I think the dollar per mile is a better way to do it if you're comparing apples and apples because, um, you know, fuel cost is, is regionally, uh, if you're comparing regions to regions, uh, MPG, I think if you're looking at similar operations, you know, drive-in freight to drive-in and so on, um, that's a good barometer. Um, you know, some people <laughs> accuse us of hauling cheap freight, of course, which is ludicrous. Um, <laughs> so, but... You know, a specialized, you know, either Matt's operation, you know, because he, he pulls in some good revenue numbers. So by definition, his fuel cost as a percentage of revenue is going to be lower. Right. And kudos to him for doing that. He's running a profitable operation. So I, I, I don't know that there's a, a apples to apples across the board easy comparison. Here, um, here's... Here's what I'm thinking, and, and here's what I'm thinking along these lines. So I, I get questions about all three of these different things we're talking about. Um, what truck, what specs can I buy set up to get the best fuel mileage? That's one question. And we would that would be all we're going to look at then is what is your fuel mileage and how do we make it better? This truck, this combination, this rear end, all those things. Then there's the next issue of fuel purchasing. Do you have a good fuel purchasing program like Nastic with big discounts? And do you understand fuel tax? And are you using that knowledge to, to know where you should be buying your fuel? And the goal there is to get the lowest fuel cost possible. And then there's the issue of what operation what segment, what kind of trailer, what kind of freight can I pull that gives me the best revenue and the best fuel economy to, to maximize that? 
I, I get questions on all three of those areas and I teach people things in all three of those areas. I'm just in my mind, I'm wondering if there's some kind of index, maybe index is better than ratio, some kind of index I could create where we calculated all three of those and, and there was data that actually made sense. I agree. There's, I don't know what it is. I'll have to think on that. But yeah, there's, I mean, either way, the, the goal is everybody should be measuring their operation and yeah. no matter what, trying to improve it. Here's what I'm thinking of why this is useful to me and could be even more useful now, given the program I'm putting together, the new CMC, the franchise model. I'm going to be dealing with people who, are, who don't even own a truck yet. And, and everything is a possibility for them. Everything's open. And if I could say, based on our records... Here is the operation truck specs. This is a template that when we take into account revenue and fuel, you can't beat this model right here. This is the model where the revenue is high, the fuel mileage is high, everything's being done right, and and then kind of index everything off of that. And, and we could actually compare operations and trucks and specs. I know it sounds kind of complicated, but I don't know. I think we could, we could do something like that. Yeah, yeah I'll put some thought into uh, that. Yeah, I'll, I'll ponder it. It's, um, it's a complex issue. It is. Um, and maybe that's why it hasn't been done. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. You know, when I was doing while I was doing my annual report for Purple Haze and things, and, and I delved a lot into um, a lot of the data in fuel gauges so that we could compare our operation to other leading hypermile type, you know, operations. And there's a, a, an inconsistency of what people put into fuel gauges. Yes. So it makes it hard to screen the relevant data. So um, that, that's another problem. Hey. What, not let me, a fuel gauges problem, it's, it's a data set problem. Well, but maybe we could work towards solving it. And the first idea I just had, look, so here's the thing. When we developed the software and we wanted to put in as many data points as possible that would affect fuel economy. So average speed, temperature, mm-hmm. you know, all those things that could possibly affect it. But then the choice becomes... Do we force people to fill this out? Do we make this a required field? And we default to saying, no, give them the option. Don't force them. Nobody likes to be forced to do things. But the more data we have, the more we can learn and the more we can teach other people and the better we all get. My, the thought that just popped into my head when you were saying that was, what if we created a different not a version, but a different option in fuel gauges. Maybe we called it fuel gauges pro and all of the fields are required, but give people a choice. If you want to opt out of the pro, you can, you can keep doing your thing. You don't have to fill out, but if you want to be a part of a, a movement that, that helps us all learn and get better at this, then we need the, all the data on every fill up. I can hear you like shaking idea. his head right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I like Training that idea. More work. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, but yeah, the, the idea is great. Is, yeah, how to implement it is uh, 
is where the work is. Right. Um, but I, I like the idea. But I'll go one step better. Well, I don't know if it's better. A different tact. So if you enter the fuel data ticket in July, right, you, you kind of have an idea about the temperature. It, basically, what you're thinking is, hey, look, do I have cold, dense winter air or do I have, you know, right. nice right. summer air? And maybe by the date, we can already make that entry automatically. It, we we might be able to make some of this easier, right? And and that's where that's where Aaron shines. Aaron's always if I can come with, up with the idea of what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to track. Aaron's really good at making it easy. Um, you know, he, he, the speed. I mean, we put average speed in there, and a lot of people just don't bother to fill it out. We we've given the, those. Uh, given an opportunity to put as much data in as possible, but again, we don't force it. And, and quite frankly, here's another example where, you know, fuel cost. Um, people might know the pump price and they could put that in. Uh, that's what Joel did originally because when he gets the fuel ticket, when he gets the receipt at the TA, for example, he doesn't know what our discount is. Correct. Right, because it's that, a cost plus discount. Nastic works that way. Exactly. Here, we actually exactly. did design fuel gauges for that issue. So the way we tell people, I think the best system, if you have a cost plus discount, is we do tell people enter the fuel receipt when you're standing right there putting the fuel in, even though you know the mm-hmm. price is wrong. If you want to, leave the price off. Or maybe you're forced to on that one. I, I don't remember. But either way, enter the fuel receipt as you're standing there getting fuel. And we do it that way because we want them to see their fuel mileage on that tank immediately so they can think about what happened during that tank. Did I drive faster? Did I drive slower? Was I heavier? Was I lighter? Did the weather change? So that they start to understand immediately what kinds of things are impacting their fuel mileage. And then we made it really, really simple that when the settlement comes in and you now know what the real price is, you only have to go back and change one number in that entry. And we make it really easy to go back to that original entry and just make that one change and then everything's mm-hmm. accurate. That is a, a good way to do it. Uh, I know that I'm too lazy to do that. Uh, I track it differently through spreadsheets and whatever that go into our accounting. Hey, hey, so hey, Alec. I do it differently. That, yes, you, you just created cognitive dissonance in my brain. In what way? I'm the same way, you, Alec. Don't feel bad. You, you, you said, you said <laughs> I, I don't want to track it that way because I'm too lazy. I use spreadsheets. Oh, my God. Please. Spreadsheets yeah. are so labor intensive. And I don't, I'm not saying it's bad to use them, but it's funny to hear somebody say, well, I'm too lazy to go make that one change because I do all this work to track it in spreadsheets instead. Well, yeah, it may be oxymoronic, but um, I use lots of spreadsheets. I know, I know. So when you I said I'm too lazy on data entry, I, yeah. I thought, man, I know how much work goes into creating those kind of spreadsheets. Yeah. And you can see, you know, I sent you the chart and posted it on uh, uh, on Facebook yesterday, you know, the, my scatter chart. And so I can really track and drill down to the nth degree. Right. But um, it, it uh, 
there, you know, and you even had, uh, there was another entry, oh, uh, cargo weight or, or G, uh, gross vehicle combination weight. Right, right. So that's another entry that a lot of people don't do. So there's, uh, you know, you've got, what, 80-some-odd thousand trucks making entries, you know, even ram pickup trucks. So there's, there's a lot of utility in the Fuel Gauges app, um, but unfortunately, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, if you don't put in all the data, then it makes, it dilutes the utility when you're trying to do benchmarking and, and things like that, which in my mind is the ultimate goal. I agree. Um, well, assuming you got other calls, so I'll try to make this quick. <laughs> it, funny you bring up spreadsheets. Uh, this morning on the radio I heard, the, the one DJ always gives today is the, uh, you know, what whatever day, you know, now they got five different things they got to read off every day. Today is, I don't remember the exact term, but it, it's, it's the day of the original spreadsheet, uh, the DOS or the, I can't remember the name of it, but that's today's the official day of whatever that original spreadsheet was back in the 80s. Uh, the Lenox. I think it was Linux something. Linux, no, I can't remember what it was, but, you know. Linux was actually a different operating system that still exists. Mm-hmm. I do, uh, who made that original spreadsheet? I had the program. It was the first spreadsheet I ever worked with. It was about the only spreadsheet that existed uh, back then. I Was it Harvard? No. Um, I know Harvard Graphics was way back then, um, and they may have had a spreadsheet type of deal. Uh, yeah, I I, back I, I didn't re- remember the name. You know, it's just background noise that I heard, and because it's not important, but because it's, it's you know it's also you know love your sister day or whatever you know. Yeah. <laughs> all, all these stupid things I got to come up with these days. But yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the original reason for my call is because I write a lot of spreadsheets too, and I'm talking about one of them for my retirement account right now. I, uh, the, the S&P finally broke its record last Friday from two and a two, little over two years to finally break the record high again. And I think it's broke it every day this week again. So it's, mm-hmm. it's climbing. I have north of $100,000 in earnings in my 401k. Now, the money that I did not put in, that's just growth. I, I'm sorry. I, I was just looking at something else. I want to go back to that. Were we thinking of Lotus One Two Three? That's, That's what it. it was. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the big ones back then originally Lotus One Two Three was DOS. Um, I actually learned on VisiCalc, which was the first spreadsheet program for Apple. I actually started learning computers on an Apple computer, but then ultimately bought. A, a Windows machine, and I was stupid for ten years before I finally went back to Apple. Um, so I, I used both of those early programs. See, give me those numbers again, Matt. I missed that because I was looking at this. Uh, yeah, so I, I broke a hundred thousand dollars in growth. Oh, nice. In my four hundred one k. Okay. And I don't have cause, so my four hundred one k is with T Row Price. And they don't give you your overtime growth. My Vanguard accounts, they all show my, my return right. for overtime. The average, uh, and, I mean, I've got some of them. I got an IRA at Vanguard, which, you know, is only like two years old. So it's almost 15%. But, you know, that was started in, 
from the down, and we've been going up ever since. But yeah, so my spreadsheet here, it's 35% of the money in my 401k is growth. And the reason for that being so low is I didn't start as early as I wish I would have, like right. everybody. Right. And I've been maxing it out for three years now. So my so my contributions the last two and a half years have been astronomical. Good. So that's why a lot of a lot of the the base of it is is all contributions, but over time that'll end up really accelerating here. Yeah. Good. So Matt, if I can just ask a question. So you put in sure. you maximized your, your contributions for two to three years and yet you're now at a hundred percent growth. So basically you're you know <laughs> back at the envelope, you're somewhere around thirty percent well it's compounded so it'd be a little bit less than that, but you've been north of twenty five percent well no I've got uh, so my current value is three hundred and thirty and the growth is a hundred and seventeen thousand. So I've put two hundred and thirteen thousand in out of pocket mm -hmm. contributions. I yep. do have another spreadsheet here. <laughs> so, but, uh, but the, let's the, see. So, not at the end of the year. The I always, numbers. Yeah, I, I go back and I I actually figure out my own rate. Mm -hmm. um, 2019, 14 percent. 2020, 14 percent. 21, 15 percent. 22, negative 22%. Ouch. 23 was 22% growth. Yeah, so, interesting. So, so the, the moral of the story that I was trying to get to, which you illustrate perfectly, is, A, you, you've obviously, <laughs> you're in the wrong, side, wrong line of business, and uh, you, you need to be more of you know, a financial planner or advisor like uh, Kevin does. Um, so that's one. Number two, look at your growth and... By doing what you've been doing, you enable yourself to retire quickly. So you are the perfect example of working smart, not harder. Now, I, I, yeah. I, I'll, I'll that, correct that just a little bit. Matt absolutely okay. works smart, both in his trucking and his investments, but he works harder than anybody I know as well. Well, th that could be too. <laughs> but yeah. um, th the moral of the story is, even if he didn't work hard in his right. trucking. Of course, that's what enables him to do what he's doing. But on a percentage return basis, he's really got this dialed in. Yeah. And uh, kudos for, for doing that. And I guess that was kind of what I was trying to get at is, you know, if we just work hard to drive, we're not going to be able to retire. Yep. Good point. Yep. So I'll leave everybody with one more math question they can try to figure out on their own. I won't get the answer. On my birthday this year, I will have lived half of my life in this century and half of my life in the previous century. You can try to figure out how old I am. <laughs> that seems pretty easy. Is this a, this isn't some sort of trick question? Seems pretty simple. No, you just got to take what year it is and do a little bit of math. Yeah. All right. Yep. Good. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Thanks for the call. Let's. Uh, Let's go to Pennsylvania. Scott, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What can I help you with today? I got a quick question for you. Shouldn't take much time. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts on the difference between grass-fed and grain-fed beef? Uh, you know, they've actually changed over the years. I, I, I will start off by saying I still 
work hard to make sure all of the meat I eat is not even just grass-fed, I, I, regenerative. You know, so, so looking at a farm like Polyface where they have almost zero inputs, uh, they, they raise their animals without buying almost anything. They buy some supplemental chicken feed, and I think that's about it. The entire operation is run without buying anything. That's what regenerative means. They produce their own compost. They produce their own feeds. That They're not bringing in a bunch of inputs like a traditional farm operation does now. A traditional farm operation, the feedlot kind of stuff, I mean, everything is brought in. And right. one of the things we noticed over the last couple of years is when we had shortages and costs were going up everywhere. The conventionally raised meat was going up in price much faster than the regenerative stuff because they had to keep paying more and more for all of the inputs they need, whereas the regenerative farm doesn't have any inputs, so inflation didn't affect them as much. Um, and I, I know people freak out when I say this, but I am kind of a tree hugger. I, I like our planet. I, I want it to be healthy and, and vibrant. And I, I don't want to keep doing these things that are destroying our environment. You know, they, they blame trucking a lot. We are big polluters and we're working on cleaning that up. Farming is a horrible polluter when it comes to our environment. These, these feedlot operations and giant monocrop farms are horrible for our environment horrible for the animals and not good for us. So one of the reasons I, I eat more regenerative, I, I guess, is all of the impacts that, that farming animals has on, on our planet, on the animals themselves, and on us. Health-wise, um, I would absolutely tell somebody, don't make this the issue that, that is going to screw you up or get you off track because you can't find the food or you can't afford it or or whatever eat meat primarily and animal products no matter where you get them from if you're buying the worst quality on the market but you're eating primarily carnivore you're still going to be way healthier than anybody on the standard american diet and then work from there to constantly improve the quality. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I was just, I had uh, contacted a lady, her and her husband, they own a farm and just a local farm where we live. And uh, they've got, I think she told me they've got about 400 acres, about 200 head of cattle. But they, uh, they raise all their cattle uh, grain fed and they actually bring them to market within 16 months. She said the beef's a lot more tender. Well, well, stop right there. Stop right there. Go ahead. I uh, will agree with her on tender and marbled. Absolutely. What is marbling in our meat? It's fat, right? Fat. You know why it's there? Because the animals are eating grain. Grain fattens up animals. It also fattens up humans. So so when they say, well, it's more tender, yeah, that's not a big factor for me. I eat grass-fed beef that is fantastic, te- excellent texture, way more taste yeah, and flavor than grain-fed. I think grain-fed is way too mild tasting for me. I like the grass-fed yes. taste that, that, that's that got she, the 
little bit of that gaminess to it and some taste. And yeah, it can be a little chewier at times, but I, I prefer that. So when they try to sell she me did, on the grain fed, she, what's yeah, that? She did say that. She said that a lot of people who uh, have tried the grain fed or the grass fed beef, she said that a lot of people say that the grass fed, it's almost too gamey for them. It is. For yeah, a lot of people, uh, it is. Like, I prefer I, that. I like, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm with you on that. So, so okay, but but here's another stuff, thing. No big, um, I, I do like supporting local farms. I mean, I'd much rather see people yeah. buying from some local farm around them rather than giving your money to the Chinese, which tend to control a lot of our meat production these days. They own a lot of farmland. They own some of the biggest meat packing plants in our country. And I'd rather not keep supporting the Chinese. Yeah, well, that's another reason why I do it, just because it's a local farm. Right. Her and her husband, I think her husband, she said her husband's 68, she's 63. They haven't had a day off in six years because that's all they do. And um, but and she explained everything to me. I mean, she was real open about it. So um, Yeah. But I was just curious. And then as far as nutrients and stuff, it's really no, no difference. Um, there is some difference. The biggest difference you're going to find with uh, true pastured animals or forested pigs or Um, whichever animal we're talking about, the difference is in the fatty acid profile. You get more omega-3 in in pastured animals, which is what we want, more omega-3. You get more omega-6 in a grain-fed animal, and we do want to try to avoid that. But again, it's not a big enough issue for me to tell people, well, don't do this unless you can buy pastured. That's just not true. Do this, move towards a more meat, animal-based diet, no matter where you're getting your meat from, and then when and if you can, up the quality wherever you're able to. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate your input, man. I appreciate what you do for everybody, so... You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Oregon. Doug, good morning. Hey, uh, you hear me? I can. What's on your mind today? Uh, okay. Well, I, I, I just wanted to, I, I've called in about this before, but I just, I have a very specific question, probably for Alec. It was supposed to be for Joel, but right now on the market for new Volvos, 99% of them are specced out with the 285s or the 308s with a 12-speed transmission and and some of them have a a spec with 247s with the 12-speed with a tc engine and the other ones are all the the uh what is the vd vgt i'm just curious if you could maybe kind of explain a little bit of the difference of those the specings for those sure so uh, so the the 308 is with an overdrive transmission. The 285 frequently is with a uh, direct drive, God forbid, and that's that's a terrible setup. Well, and I don't know that Volvo made a lot of those. Freightliner uh, did that, and it's not such a great setup. It lacks yeah. versatility. And well, the 2.47, typically on the Volvo, on the VGT side, some years ago was a fleet spec direct drive supposed to be very fuel efficient in a narrow speed range kind of like the way that 2.64 with an overdrive is 62 to 65 kind of speed range very very efficient just not very versatile Uh, i like the 2.47 with an overdrive on the vgt side but there are not very many of those 
typically you you might have to put that in. For example, if you found a 308 with an overdrive transmission, you know, swap it out and put in a 2.47, and now you have a really great truck. Okay. Um, on a VGT side. Yeah. But, uh, one part of that question was uh, 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 they're, they're spec'd out extremely different up here in the Northwest and the, on the West Coast as they are mm -hmm. in the Midwest and, and out East. They, they, they just spec them so differently. But with if I were to find a truck that had the, the turbo compound with the overdrive and 247s, is, I guess that's one of the differences that I wanted to ask between that truck and the truck that you said was really versatile with like a, a VGT overdrive and 247s as opposed to a turbo compound overdrive and 247s. Well, so th the turbo compound, to get the full benefit of it, likes to work at low RPMs because that turbo compound gives you nominally 50 extra horsepower for free and 75 pound-feet of torque without having to burn any fuel because it's using waste heat to derive mm -hmm. that extra power. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, they're two different animals. So you would not spec the trucks the same way. So for example, a two point, so with a D13 turbo compounder, a 2.47, unless you're doing heavy haul, I wouldn't do it. Um, okay. You'd want something much taller than that. You know, that 2.15 that uh, Joel has, well, depending upon who makes the rear ends, or 2.26 type of thing, mm -hmm. you know, that's where I would go, frankly. Um, so there you are. Right, and, and there's two of those in the country, by the way. That, that spec, and that, that's where the difficulty runs in, because you can't go, from what mm -hmm. I understood, you couldn't go to that gear ratio without going to the 13s. That is can you run, Yeah, see, there's two of those in the country that I've been able to find. And that was that. Was that I was trying to look for, there's thousands of them that are specced with the overdrive 285 or overdrive in 308 with the VGT. And even some of those will go to the 247 with the turbo compound. Mm -hmm. And that's that's where I was trying to, well, to, so, I, don't, I, I want something that's really versatile, but most of my stuff is going to be 80 pounds one way and then empty the other. And okay, so I wanted so something that that's good. So you want something that's going to be versatile at, at wide extremes. And mm -hmm. so what you know the, the the setup that we have that Joel has in our Purple Haze is a great setup for that. I mean, it's going to do, and it's got 2.15 with an overdrive behind right. a TC. So when you're empty, you're going to put up great fuel economy, you know, 13, 14 type numbers. And then when you're loaded depending upon what speed you want to run, you run it uh, tech drive. If you're at 80,000 mm -hmm. pounds climbing the Siskiyou's, I, I don't know what part of the country you're in, but if you're on a major type of a grade, you can run in, in direct or even underdrive right. and be able to pull those you know, economically and probably with greater productivity uh, than pretty much any other setup. The problem won't be you pulling the hill, it'll be the traffic in front of you. So right, right. that is a great setup. So think about this. VGT, the tallest rear-end ratio you can get with a VGT is 2.47. And right. even then, an air dog makes a lot of improvement on that. Um, that's, frankly, that's what made me make the switch from my original 3.25 to 2.47. The air dog made it possible to run at the lower RPMs and, and not choke the, the fuel supply. Mm -hmm. Conversely, okay. turbo compound doesn't really start 
until 2.47 and then gets taller from there. So right. turbo compound really uh, captures and leverages the advantages of downspeeding and, and slowing down the piston speed. And so that's why okay. it's so, such a great setup. Okay. Well, I think you pretty much just answered my questions exactly. That's kind of all I had. So. Right. All right. Good, luck. Specific. Good well, stuff. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Let's uh, let's go to Mississippi. Paul, good morning. Howdy. I would say that Matt is born in 1976, and he's going to be 48 this year, at a guess. Sounds about right. Yeah. So I know people in the car hauling industry that burn 30% of their revenue in fuel because they're idiots, basically, and they want to... I've got to get out in the left lane and get that quicker so I can go get that next load. Because a lot of it is they leave their truck running. Guy beside me last night. <coughs> it was, I don't know, mid-50 degree temperatures in Mississippi. He idled his pre-emission glider 12-7 by the sound of it all night long. I hopped up this morning and I set my truck up last night before I went to bed. Hopped up this morning and his truck still running. And when I pulled all my cars, put the first four on before I even started my truck and left before he did, but he idled for 11 hours for no reason at all. Oh, I don't know whether he had the heater or the AC running. Not sure. Hey, hey, Paul, I'll, I'll tell you what excuse I've been given for doing that, no matter what the weather is. they got to run their CPAP machine. Well, he could have been one of those candidates. It's possible he was a little bit of a big guy, so. I, I've heard that people say I, I can't not idle my truck. I, I've got to run it to run my CPAP machine. And if they're company drivers, they can't add inverters and that kind of stuff. So that's the one excuse I've heard. Well, the, this this guy's an owner operator. I'm pretty sure of that. So. Well, then at that point, oh. even with the CPAP, they don't pull that much power. You could throw in a you know couple batteries and a and a uh, inverter just for that. It's a whole lot better than idling all the time. I, I, I burned a couple of dollars with the gasoline with my Honda. There you go. Not for a CPAP, just for the just for the refrigerator and to make sure my food didn't go bad. So. Yeah. Um. So on the on the new Volvo, did they change any of the dimensions of the body? You know, like the distance from the center of the front axle to the front bumper. Has any of that changed, or do you not know? I do not know. Because the first picture I looked at, it's like. Looks like it has a little bit more frontal overhang, you know, ahead of the center of the front wheel, but I'm not sure. Maybe I'm just, might be the way the picture was taken. I'm not sure. So. Yeah, Paul, I, I saw the same thing, and that was, that's my initial reaction as well. Um, yeah. Kind of pushing that front bumper out a little bit so that they can increase the rake towards the top of the hood, you know, kind of yeah. making that profile a little bit more aerodynamic, but... You know, I, I'm as green, no pun intended, uh, to the whole looking at the picture of the green truck. Um, that's just my impression, but I, I don't know that for sure. Uh, I, get, I guess I'll just have to go online or wait till I see one and get the tape measure out. So, uh, um, maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll build the VAH and just get the hood on that longer and push the cab back a little bit and put the turbo compound technology on that. And then I'd build one of those. Because I'd, sacri you know, I'd sacrifice I, that. Yeah. Eight inches. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I guess the little bit that I have heard is 
you know, obviously this is the rollout of the VNL series and the VNR slash VAH type of things may come the following year. Yeah. But, you know, I have not heard that directly. You know, I've heard a lot of things, um, some of which I don't are all public, and I don't know how much of it is true and really in the plan. Right. So at this point, I'm yeah. speculating. But I, I, I think that, you know, the focus is going to be on the larger segment for obvious reasons, and then that yeah. redesign is yeah, going well, to filter uh, in uh, down the line. One, one, thing, one thing I've noticed in the auto transport segment, the Volvo is becoming very popular because the Western Star Lomax, they, they did away with that model, so they shot themselves in the foot there. And that little Freightliner SD114, that kind of looks ugly to me, but the company I'm leased to, they have been buying, they bought quite a few day cab versions of that truck because a lot of our guys, they work regional and they get home sometimes mm-hmm. every day or every other day. And But now they've been they've been buying some, well, they call them sleeper, but it's not much of a sleeper. You'd have to jump up onto your side to roll over. It's a 24-inch bunk. So, But if you're only mm. going to sleep in it three nights a week, I suppose that's not a bad idea, but I, I, I want way bigger than a 24-inch sleeper. Sorry. so, but if, I don't even... A 24-inch sleeper is legal under FMCSA rules, but oh, no, I don't know for sure. I, yeah, I think it is, uh, this Henry, I just joined. Okay. It's, it's pretty minimal. Yeah. The biggest thing on the sleeper is getting the width the other direction. Right. And, yeah, and I knew there was some mattress, apparently. Yeah. So. You, you mean when um, I used to lay a board over two seats in a day cab, that wasn't legal as a sleeper? Would depend how thick well, your mattress th- was if you had one. <laughs> well, and back then he could open up the windows since that is necessary. <laughs> That's right. You, you, you take you take a hammock with you. You open the passenger door. You put the knot out the end. You shut that door. Open the driver's door. Put that knot out. Shut that door and lay in the hammock. <laughs> there you go. Hey, hey uh, well, either you bring either, up hammock either that or you. Uh, do it underneath I the trailer. I used to hang one. I used to hang a hammock under a flatbed. Yeah. Now we're talking. Yeah, it would be impossible to hang a hammock under my trailer. <laughs> Nessa, no. I can <laughs> hang it from a deck when I'm empty. But yeah. So yeah. Uh, one other thing does does Alec know? Is any of the Volvo people going to be at Mid America show this year? Uh, I don't think so. But uh, Joel and I are planning on being there. Okay. Will he will he be at the Hot Shot Secrets booth? Maybe or quite possibly. That's still quite possibly. Uh, okay. We're still well, trying I'll, to I'll figure all it. of that out, yeah. and yeah, we'll definitely be there. Yep. Okay, that's about all I got today. So carry on. All right, that's uh, that's all we need. Thank you, Thanks for the call, Henry. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning, and, and I want to congratulate Alec and the Alpha drivers on Volvo's new entry. It looks like they did a nice job on it. Beautiful. Competition's good. Absolutely. Beautiful. And uh, speaking of Mid-America, did you guys hear the announcement about CMC 2.0? I heard you talk about it a little bit uh, earlier, but I didn't. If there was something more substantial, I didn't hear it. Yeah, so the the last CMC event we did was 2018. Uh, We had like 400 people total at that event. Big event, five days. 
uh, actually just way too much for us as a company. So we, we took 2019 off to say, how do we redesign this program? And then 2020 hit and we haven't done anything since. So we've been, it's been in the back of my mind. I have a whole new program, twice as much material. Um, CMC originally was certified master contractor. Now it's certified master carrier. Uh, the training program is all about becoming and operating as a carrier and um, we're creating it as a hybrid so some live event and some virtual training and it's now a year-long program a ton of material in here and we'll be kicking it off it is now an official part of the mid-america truck show so we will be doing a day and a half seminar all day Wednesday and half day Thursday prior to the truck show right there in the convention center. And um, truckstop.com and the Mid-America Truck Show are our partners. So we are excited about relaunching. Oh. I want to talk to you guys about uh, being a part of this going forward. We're kind of scrambling right now to get this first event put together because um, the final decision on this was just made this week. I mean, we finally got all the pieces put in place so we could pull the trigger and say we're doing this. Now we got to work on all the registration stuff, the marketing. The good news is we have a ton of help this time. So between Truck Stop, their size and, and resources and the, the truck show itself, um, that leaves us free to just work on content. We don't have to worry about arrangements and setup and rooms and AV. And, um, and then after the truck show, it will go to a virtual training, um, a session every other week for the rest of the year. And then um, that first class will graduate that program at Matt's 2025. And then we'll kick off a new one. Uh, you don't have to commit to the whole year program right now. For $100, you can come and sit through the day and a half at Louisville, and you'll learn a ton in that day and a half, but you'll be able to decide if you want to continue on with the full program or not. Wow. Sounds awesome. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, we're excited about it. I don't go on to Mid-America this year. In fact, truck shows not this week, obviously, but the end of next week, I will be doing the Midwest Truck Show in... Peoria, Illinois, on Friday and Saturday, I'll have the truck in there. And to me, it's the biggest little show. It's like it's like a mini maps to me. It's a great show, and and the Midwest Trucking Association uh, put on par in similarity as to Nastic for their big ballywick was Workman's Comp, but great organization. Matt Wells and that whole bunch. Yeah, good stuff. All right, let's. Um Let's grab another call. Let's go to New York. Jack, welcome to the program. How you doing? Good. Uh, What's on your mind today? So you were talking about that mirrorless camera system on the Volvo before. And I believe, I believe that camera system is not a mirror eye system. I believe it's a Mecker-Lang Bosch mirror system. <laughs> Is on the super truck one for the Freightliner, they also had those side mirrors on the truck. And what that's really for is they can't ship the truck from manufacturing to the dealer with not having those mirrors on the side due to the fact that 
not everybody's acclimated to the mirrorized system or camera system, and that gives you time to adjust to it and not, you know, not have any problems driving it. You know, and that's well, also for a, you. And that's also for the. That's also for the for the for the person that buys the vehicle that they can actually adjust themselves and then eventually what you do is you take those off and then they got caps that go on the doors or or where the mirrors are located and then you drive with the uh, with the camera system you're you're most of the way correct on that what the story is with the government with all the regulations and omnipotent wisdom they cut down to the minimum amount of mirror glass because as a manufacturer you can't at this point manufacture it without the glass but you can get a waiver after you have it that you don't have to have the mirror but you have to have the waiver because they have to manufacture them that way yet so it, it the part about getting used to it wasn't part of that. It's just two government regulations that bounce off each other. Yeah, the waiver is correct, but you know, norm- normally, you know, you can get the waiver. I think even before you, you know, at the manufacturer, oh, yeah. because they they actually install it there. So 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 really, it's really you know, I'm one to get acclimated using the system before they actually take the the the, the mirrors off the side of the truck. But my friend Clark Reed that has them with Nussbaum, Right. he started out without them, and I've driven them when it has both, and it's real right. hard to get acclimated to me if you have both because you have too many views within the close vicinity of each other that makes it hard to use one or the other. And in his case, he went straight to non-mirror, and it seemed like a much easier transition for him than it was to make the switch with both. Because I got in the trucks, a bunch of the Maverick trucks have both, and it, it's like sensory overload with too many views. Yeah, true, true. Basically, basically, I drove a I drove a Cascadia twenty twenty nineteen for three years with a Mirai system in it, and okay, and. Of course, the company that I worked for didn't want to take the mirrors off the side of the truck. So basically, I folded the mirrors in, or actually took the mirrors and fold, you know, adjusted them out. So like, if I looked at the the mirrors that were on the truck, I couldn't see anything, you know. Right. And and I basically drove I drove New York City most of the time with that, you know. So uh, you know, you know, the mirrors are great, you know, once you get once you get used to it so but but like oh. i say i but like i say i think you know like you're correct you know when they ship it from the manufacturer they have to have those side mirrors on there so yes yeah, so, and but, i'm jealous of anybody that has them because i've been in them and have moved trucks around some that have them and the view is awesome especially if it's raining or any kind of inclement weather or nighttime oh, the vision you have like, compared to a mirror it's not even it's like two different worlds it's like going from an old tv with rabbit ears to high definition right well driving in rain you know it's like you know it's not even raining out with the mirror system you know because because right. it's just like you know what you what you see is what you actually see you know it's mm-hmm. you know none of the water gets on the on the mirror itself so so you got a clear picture you know and and especially in snow too but you know it's like yeah i mean the 
the views that you can see off the system is incredible. But, you know, like, you know, when I started with it in 2019 with Mirai system, it was a broken system. I mean, it took, I think I went through six cameras changes on, on, on the truck itself to, to Cascadia. <clears throat> you know, and, it's fun being and a guinea pig sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was actually a pilot program. So, you know, right. I mean, that's why we, we took it over. But, but like I say, like most of the, most of the technology that was in the, mirror eye system wasn't all there yet you know and there mm-hmm. was also there was also the mecra lang bosch that i'm talking about which is the other camera system that they're putting on trucks that i think is even on the super super truck two of the cascadia that came out it's not the mirror eye system everybody thinks that you know it's this mirror eye you know you also you know now they're even putting the vision system in the coaches, bus coaches like the Prevos. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, so there's like three companies that are involved. But, you know, uh, you know some of the technology that Mecker Lang Bosch had, Mirai didn't have, and then they kind of just like copycatted some of that stuff. So, so, so um, you know, I think Mirai or, or Mecker Lang was more ahead of the, you know, the system than than uh, Mirai was. You know, well, to me, it's amazing they technology. They didn't, they didn't have distant lines. They didn't have, uh, you know, like when you put the truck in reverse, it didn't zoom out so you could see, see when you backed into the dock. Um, so a lot of those, you know, I learned how to drive the truck without, without the distant lines, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, move from one lane to the next. Because, you know, like a camera, the deception of a camera isn't the same as a mirror. The mirror is actual, and, and, and what you see in the, the camera system isn't totally correct. So you have to, you got to, you got to get acclimated with that. So, you know, I mean, for the people that have the distant lines now, it's good because when they move from one, one lane to the next, you can actually see, you know, where you're going. With the, with the distant lines where, where, yes. where, I mean, I had to get used to it without any distant lines and it was just totally crazy, but, you know, but like, uh, like uh, at first, but like at first with the Mirai system, you know, like I had blackouts, you know, like, like, like Kevin was saying before that, you know, you know, that, you know, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, the whole camera system went down. Let me address that but, though. You know, I, I mean, that's why we approach things like this. We do testing, we, we roll it out, we tweak, we mm-hmm. look at, you know, I can remember when they first put something like power windows in a car. And I will promise you, everybody mm-hmm. back then said, I will never buy a car with power windows. It's just one more thing to go wrong. It was a common right. thing that people said. Look at cars today. Everything has power windows. They almost never break. They're more reliable than crank windows used to be. Crank windows used to break too. Most of the electronics in our vehicles today are almost never the issue. Our electronics are pretty solid. They don't break down all that often. Not nearly as much as mechanical things do. So when I look at some of the vehicles I own today and the crazy amount of technology that's in them, big giant touch screens and and honestly i've never had a problem with any of it so i'm pretty confident that once they get this worked out this is not going to be a big failure point well no i'm like you say this is the people that 
the, to the was, people that say, what if you lose your mirror or your, your vision of your mirror? Well, I, I remember one night going across the George Washington Bridge in New York, a container got over too close and took my mirror off. I, it, you know, lots of things could leave us on the side of the road. I, it, but I, I would say that other than all the emissions problems we've struggled with, trucks today are so much more reliable than when I started. And yes, they're way mm-hmm. more complicated, oh, yeah. and there's 10,000 more things that could go wrong, but they don't. And for the most part, the they black, just don't. The blackout that I had was the early part of the pilot where well, yeah, we did have everything worked out. So, so eventually what it was was, you know, it would never go out. You know, I mean, I drove it for like probably a year where it would never blink out. But right. the whole thing was right. uh, well, supposedly the way the system is, there's two cameras. There's mm-hmm. one for, for the Look. below part or for the, you know, looking out, and then you have the top one. So m- most likely, if one would blink out, you still have a camera that you can actually yeah. see down one side of both sides of the truck. It's just, you know, one's, one's going to be out. You know, a lot of people let's think about this and then we're going to move on from this topic um how many vehicles on the road now have backup cameras not something that used to exist on vehicles lots and lots of vehicles have backup cameras now and how many of them go out i mean i've never had a vehicle with that that had a problem with it and now you have vehicles with 360 degree views they have so many cameras on them we have a camera system that I forget which pickup truck it is, GMC maybe, or four, I don't remember which one, but somehow manages to see behind a trailer that you're pulling. I mean, we have crazy um, camera systems on cars today. We've had them for a long time, and they don't fail. These are not failure points. These things are very reliable. Well, and and the cameras are so small. I had a GMC Acadia Denali, and... Like you said, like when you were putting in, putting in the parking spot in reverse, it was a 360-degree view all the way around it. And I'm like, where are these cameras? I know. I going along and rubbing my hand on the car so I could block out the camera. They were so small that I remember some of them were up in the roof rack. Yeah. You, you couldn't see them. And, and the view it had all the way around it was just simply... Think about how many corners... If they had that on a truck when you're backing in, like at the one dock I got to go to where there's a wall and it's docks that were designed for 45-foot trailers and cab overs, I think of how many right front fenders that would save people tearing them off against the wall. Well, I can tell you what a good camera system saves on a big vehicle like that, that you've got to back into tight spots and maneuver around things because my coach is a great example. When I pull the trailer, I'm every bit as long as any truck on the road, 74 feet, I think, when I pull my trailer. And with cameras, I can put that thing in anywhere without worrying about bumping something at all. I can see every angle I need to see to know I can back in without hitting something. And what it saves me is the time that I would normally have to get out and check something like that. Well, a a, a friend of mine that's a coach driver she has been invited to go to their rodeo down in raleigh north carolina with prevost and boy the requirements to get in that were pretty high i'll bet and but but the 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 one caveat when they do their rodeo all those cameras are shut off 
Well, they would have to be because it, it gives well, the advantage she gets, she gets to. So used to running with them, she's like, "Oh my God, I got to go back to the old way." Well, what it does is it it actually gives a much much bigger advantage to a poor driver than it does a really experienced driver. The really experienced driver has spent enough time that you can do that almost without the cameras. The very inexperienced driver, those cameras are a huge help for them. And on this one, they, they don't take their own bus. They use a bus that's supplied there, and they shut the cameras off. Correct. And I, I was part of the, um, the National Truck Driving Championship one year, not competing. I was actually judging. Uh, it was pretty incredible what those guys were able to do. But cameras would, would just ruin that whole setup. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's grab another call. Let's go to Nebraska. Austin, welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. What can I help you with today? Um, well, I have two things. One, um, when we did the uh, coaching yesterday on Zoom, um, I had Andy reach out right after the show, and we set up a call on Monday to fix my expenses and make sure they're all correct. So I oh, just good. Thank you. You good. for how good your customer service is, because that's great customer service. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Second, um, I want to know the best way to deal with stressful situations when you're on road and you don't have a way to escape from it. Like, if I'm at home, I just go, like, skiing or something, but I can't do that when I'm on the road. So, you know, I'm just driving and I get stressed about situa- a situation. Okay. Know, I've got some ideas here. I'm going to I'm going to use an analogy here. If if you were laying down somewhere and we put a big heavy weight on top of you and it was crushing you, would you be able to lift that off of you? And the answer is going to be no. It would be too heavy. You wouldn't be able to. But if if we took some time and we trained your muscles to be stronger, when that happened, you would be able to solve that problem in that moment by getting that weight off of you. Our stress response system is very, very similar to a muscle. We can actually train and strengthen our stress response so that when we are in a stressful situation, it doesn't affect us physically. And a lot of people in this country, our stress response has become very weak for a lot of reasons. And that's why Mm -hmm. stress starts to build up on us and we have more emotional reactions. We have more physical reactions. We can become physically ill from the stress itself. And this, Mm -hmm. we've mostly been taught to remove yourself from the stress and go meditate or relax or be more mindful or be more grateful. And, and all of those practices are awesome, but it also be like saying this weight is on top of me and it's crushing me and I'm just going to be really positive about it's not going to kill me. How well is that going to work? <laughs> right? It, it, it's not. We have to face reality. We're either strong enough to deal with this or we're not. and We can't change that in the moment. So when we're in these situations, if we're being overcome by stress and we're we're having such a strong physical and emotional reaction to it, it's telling us that, that our stress muscle is not strong enough. 
and we better go work on that stress muscle and I'll tell you how to do it. And then we can also, as soon as we can get out of the stressful situation, take a break from it. Um, one of the things we can do to build our stress muscle is also something that can help us right in the moment as long as we can get 10 or 15 minutes to go do it. And it would be the Wim Hof breathing. Um, three or four rounds, that four rounds could take 20 minutes, two rounds you do in about 10 minutes, um, can drop stress levels immediately. And the more you practice that breathing, the more effective it becomes in the moment as well. So does that all make sense so far? Um, did oh, We must have lost the caller. We did. I, I, I don't know where he went, Kevin, but on on that stress when you're on the road, the oldest school one that I deal with, I'll never forget this. It was an old timer back in the day that, and, and I was getting stressed out. I was running, it was early in my career, I was running D.C., New York City, Baltimore, a lot. And you'd get around different vehicles that would just be agitating the heck out of you. And I'll never forget the advice I got of this old timer back then was, to simply get off at the exit, come to a stop, and come back on the entrance ramp on the other side, you'll never see that vehicle again. Yeah, that is a good way to remove yourself from from a situation like that. I like that one. Um, We did... So I don't keep building. Yeah, yeah, we did lose Austin, but I'm going to go ahead and, you know, finish the... uh, Uh, the explanation here. So this is exactly what I spent two years working on that stress protocol for. The, I I have four methods for building your stress muscle so that stress doesn't affect you nearly as much in the real world. And these aren't the only four things. They are four very powerful things, but I also worked hard to make sure that all of these things were something you could do on the road in the truck. They didn't require any, even the equipment, if it does require something, it's something that's easy to carry in the truck. Um, And and that was a big point that this had to be easy for over the road drivers Mm -hmm. to do. Um, And real quickly, we're getting ready to release this protocol Um, but I can explain it pretty easily. Four methods that we can use, um, all four. If if you can do all four of these things three to four times a week, you will double your stress resilience in a month or two. So they are the specific breathing exercises. In this case, it's the Wim Hof breathing, and you can get the Wim Hof app that will teach you how to do that. It's not that complicated, but the app really makes it easy to understand and do, and it does all your timing for you. And So um, you get the Wim Hof app, and you do those breathing exercises. Like I said, it, it, I do four rounds when I do it, and four rounds of that breathing takes right around 20 minutes. Uh, then we do um, infrared and heat exposure. So um, we actually sell a sleeping bag-like thing in our store. It's just like a sleeping bag. You, you climb into it like a pouch, but it's actually a, a far infrared sauna. So it's going to get hot. Your body's going to sweat. It's going to send your stress levels through the roof. And that is similar to weightlifting to build your muscles. We're going to hurt and tear down the muscles so that when it rebuilds, it rebuilds stronger. 
this is kind of the same thing. We're going to send your stress level through the roof. And that's how we start to build your stress muscle with these specific types of stressors. There's a ton of other benefits to both heat therapy and infrared. Uh, it's good for our skin. It's good for our joints. It's good for collagen production. Um, it's a detox. The heat when we sweat is a great way to detox. But ultimately, it, it's building stress resilience. Then the third method is short duration, high intensity resistance training. And we sell a system in our store called the X3 bar with, with bands. And I have a workout that I've designed that it, this workout is 10 minutes. That's it. 10 minutes, three or four times a week. Not only will you be building your physical strength, your, your muscle strength, you'll also be building stress resilience by doing this. And then the fourth one, the one that has lots of benefits and everybody absolutely hates, but I promise you, you can get used to this and you will get to the point that you like it, really like it. And you, no matter how awful this sounds, you only have to endure it for about three or four minutes, three or four minutes, three or four times a week. And it's very effective and it is cold plunging or cold showers. So Ooh. I know everybody hates this one, absolutely hates it. But I can promise you, you get to the point where you look forward to this. The problem is when you quit and go back to it, it's just as hard to acclimate yourself the second time. It never oh, seems yeah. to get easier. But once you acclimate yourself and you stay consistent at this, people love this. So if you're going to do it in a shower, which is, is really where drivers are going to do this most, you can take the longest hot shower you want. I always do. I love long hot showers. I, I come up with oh, some yeah. of my best ideas in the shower. Um, but once you're done, then at the end of the shower, you turn it pure cold and three to four minutes and you get incredible benefits it's good for your heart it's good for your whole cardiovascular system it, it's excellent for your immune system and it's really good to building stress resilience because in the beginning that cold water will send your stress response right through the roof and uh Huh. over time you will build that stress resilience so those four things all easy to do on the road a couple of them do require some equipment but not a lot and they are very powerful so so kevin maybe that's what they've done at some of these travel center showers and the one that i had this morning it kept going from scalding hot to freezing on its own <laughs> yeah. i didn't realize i was training yeah that, maybe that's an extra charge that i didn't know about it that that's the that's the stealth program it works even better because you don't know it's coming <laughs> yeah it's also, yeah the, cold. Oh. the only way the only way you know it's coming is you hear somebody flush the toilet and you, right uh-oh right every yeah, army barracks ever it. took a shower and that was always a problem you heard the toilet flush and you would just cringe because you didn't know what was coming scalding hot or freezing cold but something was going to happen yeah, this one wasn't being that. There, there was no indications. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that that was a feature. They should be selling that. Oh, hey, we uh, we have Austin back. So, Austin, did, were you able to hear that? <clears throat> yeah, I was able to hear most of that. I like the 
Yeah, I've been suggested to do that cold plunge before. Uh, it's extremely, you know, I don't know. I do a lot of other crazy things, so I don't see why I want to do something like that. Yeah, and I will tell you, it so. is incredibly painful and uncomfortable in the beginning. And then you get to the point where it's not. It's not uncomfortable at all. You, you, you acclimate to this fairly quickly, and it makes you feel incredible. When, when you come out of that and your entire body is just numb and tingling and your energy levels go through the roof and your brain starts to clear and your thought processes feel better, it, it really is powerful if you can just push through that pain initially. Would you suggest like figuring out like a pond or something to just jump in when it's really cold outside or is that, could you get like hypothermia from that? <laughs> no, nobody, well, I'm not going to say nobody dies from doing things like this, but we have, we have cultures that have long traditions of doing this and many of them use natural bodies of water. I rented a house uh, in Northern Minnesota one year up way up by the iron range. And it was a, a community. Obviously there are a lot of Swedes, in minnesota and especially up at this place every house that was on it was a house on a lake that i rented all virtually every property that was on this lake the house was probably a hundred yards from the shore but right down on the shore was their bath and sauna that's how they pronounce it sauna house so they would have a traditional wood-fired sauna down there possibly electric and you'd sit in the sauna and get nice and hot and sweaty, and you'd walk right out on the dock and jump into the cold lake. And it's a very common practice for the Swedes. Or they'll come out and lay in the snow after they get out of the sauna. Um, so, so no, there's. I, I'm not going to say that you know somebody maybe hasn't had a heart attack because they they didn't prepare themselves for this or. Um, uh, use some common sense and this is a very very safe practice and I do love using okay. natural bodies of water um, I'm excited about the the homestead property we bought up in Washington because I have a stream that runs right through the property and it's got some awesome spots I'm gonna I'm gonna take part of the stream and actually build me a really nice cold plunge in that in the stream I'll actually have to try that out because, uh, like, I've you know, for stress, I've you know, I've tried like a therapist, and they just don't, they don't understand the situations that I get in with business and about how how stressful it can be in some situations, and that's where I get a lot of stress from is trying to make the right decision, or you get hit with a maintenance bill, and you know, you have to pay it, otherwise you don't, you know, and it's just like <laughs> those can be stressful situations, and I don't think. They really understand it as well as they, like a I, business therapist. Like that's kind of what I want, but I, I don't know if you. I can promise you that all of our institutions, whether it's the the medical system or the counseling system we have, um, none of them treat stress properly. It's one of the things I determined during this whole protocol and testing and all that is this idea that we can talk our way through this stress or meditate our way out of this stress or be more mindful those are all fine uh, they can help a little but it's the same analogy of you know we put a heavy weight on your chest and if you haven't built that muscle we can talk you through this all day long and you're still going to get crushed by that weight 
We've done nothing to make you stronger against that stress. And talking can't do it. You've got to be able to power through it. Because a thing that used to stress me out a lot, Kevin, was when you'd be working on something. And I had a bad habit when I was younger. You'd go for the easy bolts first and you get all hung up with that. But one of the things I learned to do on that, you know, that helps me with my stress is whatever's the most difficult thing that I don't want to do is what I do first. Great strategy. That is a good one. It, you know, here's something else we have to realize uh, about both stress and willpower. There's some really interesting studies done on willpower specifically that willpower is also like a muscle that we don't have unlimited amounts of willpower. We have a, a limited supply. And the idea is similar to what you were just saying, Henry, when we look at our day, you put the most important decisions you have to make as early in the day as possible, because as the day goes on, we get what's called decision fatigue. And our brain doesn't want Mm -hmm. to make hard decisions when we're tired, and we tend to make bad decisions when we're tired. One of the Mm -hmm. most interesting ways they were able to kind of highlight that this was happening, and this was kind of scary, they actually looked at parole boards. Now, if you were on a parole board, that's a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? I would think. You're deciding, first off, whether this person is going to remain incarcerated or if they get to come back out into society. That's a big decision for that person that we're making. But on the other hand, we also have to make a decision about, is society safe if we let this person out? If we let him out and he goes and kills somebody, mm. that's, a, that's a big deal. So it, it turns out, though, that if you are ever to go up in front of a parole board, you want to be the first one they, they see that day. Because they've shown over and over and over As the day goes on, you are less likely to be granted parole because the people making the decision are suffering decision fatigue and they take the safe option. It's one person we might be screwing if we leave him in jail, but it could be lots of people that could be at risk if we let him out. So we're just going to default and say we're not letting him out. We don't want to think about it anymore. And nobody thinks that consciously. But they've shown that over and over with statistics, and that's exactly how it happens. It's funny the way it works with stuff like that, dealing with stress, even on a daily decision that most of the time I do because I try to schedule my leaving time that I hit my first city right. But I try to be somewhere past the halfway point of my day before I take my break. Yeah. You know, um, a, a lot of people are familiar with, with Steve Jobs, and if you know Steve Jobs when he was alive, he was known for wearing a certain set of clothes. When he presented, he always wore this, and he wore it, from what I understand, almost every day at work. It was basically loafers, uh-huh. jeans, and a black turtleneck. And, you know, people just thought he was eccentric or whatever because he wore the same thing all the time. The reason he did that was it was one less decision he had to make in the morning. I knew that story. Yep. He would eat the same thing for breakfast. 
Not because it was his favorite meal. Yeah. It was he he understood that in his role he had to make so many critical decisions in a day that he set up his life to minimize all the stuff that wouldn't matter, but we still waste our time thinking about and trying to make a decision. He just took him out of the mix so he didn't mm-hmm. have to think about him anymore. It's similar to that of what I do with my uniforms, Kevin, that I have hung in the truck. And, and of course, I found it to be a good thinking time. I iron all my clothes before I take off for the week, which is usually my thinking time to get away from everything. But I have them all hung in the in pairs. It's already ready. It's like yeah, just grab the hanger. That's what I'm wearing. It, it's done. Yep, same idea. So Austin, does that help? Well, that sounds interesting. Yeah, I definitely want to do that Wim Hof thing and the cold plunges. I I, I got to try that cold plunge. Because I think what it does is, like, at first you're, like, probably hyperventilating, and then you can probably relax your body. Is that the point behind it? it? That is one of the mechanisms that's happening. You're exactly right. Your body goes into panic mode. Look, here's the other thing to remember. Our stress response system, what causes us to feel the way we do when we're stressed, is actually, it's been... It's been horribly compromised by our, the life we live right now. Here's what our stress system really is. And a lot of people don't understand this. You've heard of the fight or flight response, right? I think so. Yeah, so the fight or flight response is natural in a lot of animals. It's natural in humans. When we are confronted with a life-threatening event, which we have to go back to when we were hunter-gatherers and when we evolved, we were not the apex predator on the planet. There were other predators that could eat us. There were other tribes that were hostile towards us. Life was a very dangerous place as hunter-gatherers. And humans and many mammals developed this fight-or-flight system. And what it does is if you are threatened, there's a saber-toothed tiger in the path coming at you. And your body changes, makes massive physical changes to try to save your life. And you're either going to freeze or you're going to flee or fight back. And your body goes into a mode to make that happen and to give you as much advantage as you can to stay alive so it immediately Mm -hmm. shuts down things it shuts down your digestion immediately just turns it off because we don't want to waste energy on digesting food if our life is in danger it increases cortisol and adrenaline and dumps a big load of glucose into your bloodstream so that you have maximum amount of energy to either fight back or flee. So it, it, it creates these massive physical changes in our body in order to keep us alive in a life-threatening situation. Well, when we look at the things that cause us stress today, they're not life-threatening, but our body doesn't know that. We perceive them as being stressful And our body does all those same things that it would do if somebody were trying to kill us. And and these things are powerful, but they also are destructive to our body.
When you dump massive amounts of cortisol, adrenaline, and sugar into the bloodstream, it causes damage. Now, as hunter-gatherers, those moments, even though they were much more common than in today's world, they were rare. It wasn't like you spent your entire day in the fight-or-flight mode. It, It was a momentary thing, and you either survived or you died. And then it may not happen again for days or weeks or maybe even months. But our stress today is constant it starts the moment we wake up and we're, we're surrounded by, you know, our, our phone goes off with an email that's got bad news and we're not even out of bed yet. And then we get traffic and then we have, you know, a fight with our spouse and our boss is on our back and, and our truck breaks down and, and we have to deal with traffic and all of those things keep us in this fight or flight mode constantly and now what we have is a bunch of people whose stress response is just worn out it's just tired it just can't even do its job anymore because our lifestyle puts us in fight or flight mode all day long and the only way to improve this is is what i'm talking about by using these specific protocols to build that stress muscle so we don't wear out we don't wear out we are getting some sort of a weird echo and feedback and i think austin that might have been your line so i i think i've answered your question we're gonna move on i'm not sure where that feedback or echo is coming from yeah do you think you can access that adrenaline? I know when I used to race, when there was different times when the caution flag would come out, that my legs and arms would start shaking. Oh, yeah. I couldn't control it just about. That That's and, an adrenaline but dump. To me, it, it was weird because back when I was doing that, like if I got cut or anything like that, it healed fast. I always thought of that as somewhat like even when I get on my dirt bike and I'm stressed out and you're dodging trees that are trying to jump in front of you and stuff that and you used to race motorcycles so you understand that you're constantly in that state that I always felt as though usually two three days after that I felt really good yeah it it does feel good and and when you think about it like that you're thinking oh well well this is a good thing i just should just harness this and you can for short periods of time but trying to access all of that adrenaline every day so that we could perform better would be trying to like running your family minivan on nitrous oxide all day long right yeah i i always found a benefit to me on that especially what what i called when I got into race mode. If you, I swear, if you had asked me what my name was in the middle of the race, I wouldn't have known. Yeah, you know the the idea. I, I've been involved in lots of competitive events my whole life. The idea of putting on some headphones and cranking up the the music that kind of gets you going. And and it, you're right. You're you're purposefully accessing that system for enhanced performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good idea. Just you got to be careful you don't overdo it, especially in today's world because we have so many things that stress us. You know what one of the biggest stressors is in most people's life right now? Their phone. Well, yes, I would agree. The it, it constant. In, in a, 
constant text messages, emails, direct messages from all these platforms that you're on, news in front of your face all day long, which is never good news, it's always bad news. That is one of the biggest stressors in people's lives is that that phone that they are tethered to. I, I try to forget where mine is on my time off. I, I I barely carry mine throughout the day anymore. And, and you, you, people know it. I talk about it on the show all the time. Don't call me because I'm probably not going to answer my phone. I don't carry it. Um, if you need me, send me an email. Um, and when I have time, I'll sit down and check all my emails at once and get back to people. I do not stay plugged in and, and you know, instant response all day long. I, I just don't do it. It's not healthy for us. And, and and then on top of that, where I think it stresses other people out, then they're like, I texted you. Why didn't you answer me? <laughs> That's their problem. <laughs> yeah, they can deal yeah, with that. All right, we're going to grab a couple calls. We're going to have to wrap this up soon. Society. Yeah, we're going to go to Michigan. Josh, welcome. Hi, guys. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Good. I'd like to ask Henry some questions about the Freightliner Western Star platform. I briefly talked to him back in early December. I have a 57X on order. I'm hoping it should be here in February. Um, I run the Great Lakes area, so I'm specking it with a 285 and a DD12 with overdrive. Yeah, that'll be that'll put you right around 205 overall. That should be a good combination. What what engine did you go with? The 505. Well, I probably wouldn't have done that. I'd have stayed down at that 455, 1750, or 1850 is what I would have went with. But Oh, okay. Just because it just moves it farther up the RPM range. But you should be all right, and you can always go backwards if you need to. But if you have horses, you got to feed them. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, and they want to be fed. What, 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 the, the other thing oh, I would do while you're waiting to get it, Get the Star Source app or the Smart okay. Source app, either one of them. The Smart okay. Source is Freightliner, but if you put the VIN number in for a Western Star, it still works. I haven't tried it the other way around, okay. but it's called the Star it's called the Star Source app for the Western Star side. And you put okay. in the last six of your VIN number and it will have a whole series of training videos based on exactly how that truck was ordered so that you understand how that truck works, which will give you a better idea of how to interact with it. Know that all these automated type systems, like the automated manual transmission, you get drivers that, I get around drivers and they tell me how stupid they are, and I get around sales when they tell me how smart they are, which means somebody's wrong, they're both wrong. It's not smart, it's not stupid, it operates off of logic. And the main thing it's reacting to is your input. So if you ask, it's okay. like any computer, if you ask it to do something stupid, you know, it's, it's just not going to react properly. So, And the real trick to them is to drive them like they were a manual without driving them manually. So, for example, in the lower side of the gear, if you take off full throttle, it's probably going to rev the gears more than you want it to because the engine response time is 1.5 seconds to hit maximum torque now where back in the old Series 60 days, it was 3.3 seconds. Well, if you floored the throttle in the lower side of the gearbox on a manual, you'd probably over-rev the gears too, right? Well, it just can't react to that. It does a fairly good job of it, but if you want it to shift early, if you see that tack race towards 1,400, barely relieve a little pressure on the pedal. 
But if you lift, it's going to hold that gear because the message you sent is I want to slow down, so why would it ever upshift? Okay. Everything, get get a hold of me after you get it, but what I encourage you to do, and part of it I consider it to be like elementary school, but you don't know what you don't know till you find out what you didn't know. Get that Star Source app <laughs> or the Smart Source app, put in the last six of your VIN number, and go down through all the systems and how they work so that you're better prepared for it. The one they don't go into enough because on the automated manuals they've tried to make them seem so much like automatics that people think they are an automatic and they're not, is how to operate the clutch. So, for example, if you're going up against a kingpin and and say the trailer is just a shade low, when you give it a little throttle, you've asked for full clutch engagement. Well, you're going to hit the pin hard and you can't take your right foot to the left pedal fast enough not to hit it. Then you spill your coffee and you're like, well, the stupid truck... If you barely feather the brake just enough like you're trying to light the brake lights, you can regulate that clutch in and out with your left foot just like you had a separate pedal. You you almost used, uh, on these, you almost use the brake like a clutch. You do use it like a clutch. Yeah. So let's get that and then you get get a hold of me and we'll we'll go through more to take you beyond that to what I call the collegiate level of really understanding because when you... When you understand the logic of it, you can make these systems play. Because you get all the people with the manuals, I want to have control. Actually, when you know how to control one of these, you have more control than when you had the stick. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm hoping so. But, but if you try to fight with it or if you don't have knowledge of how it's operating and what goals it's trying to achieve, then you can become aggravated. That, that, that's where the, and, and that's where the coffee counter conversations go the wrong way because they were never trained on how to use it so do yourself the work of looking at all those short videos understanding the systems okay. and get a hold of me on message and we'll talk more about it especially after you get in it and we'll try to take you up to the collegiate level of it which makes it just totally fun to operate okay okay and how would i direct message you through x yeah facebook are you friends with me on facebook uh i think my wife is so i could do that okay or, or, or okay, you, cool. you said you talked to me before the end. My number, just get a hold of me. Okay, all right. So it's a Star Source app, and I'll watch the videos. Um, anything else? I think it's I Star should. Source app. Let, let me double check that on my phone, which is with me, Kevin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I think it's Star Source app. And another little yeah, it, bit of information. Star Source. They don't have a Western uh, Star emblem with it. Okay. So, so go into it, then it'll have the menu up in the corner. It'll have click on the menu, and if you click on the menu, it'll say, there'll be a column that says training, then it has training by VIN number, which is just fantastic because you can order these trucks so many different ways, and the technology is changing so rapidly. That way it's for that well, truck, the way that truck was built, not the one down the street or, or and the some other. And the salesman's up here. In, in Ontario, they, they're not really on board with the way you guys are talking. Like, they wanted to order me with a 323. Well, it's not just Ontario. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. That's everywhere. <laughs> I had one in Alex's neighborhood that they told him he wasn't going to be a good... He lived in Colorado, and he ordered a 41750 with a 216 direct, and they told him, but you're not going to be able to get over the mountains. And he also wanted wide base singles, and they told him he wouldn't be able to get through the snow. And somehow, which, which you know him, Alec Rodney, somehow he accomplished all them goals. Yep. <laughs> 
Uh, and did phenomenal on fuel as well. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that's, that's my gain. Like I said, I'm coming from uh, a long hood Peterbilt, and my cost of fuel ratio, I figured it out after listening to you guys, was 26%. Oh, are you a car hauler? Running a tandem tanker. <laughs> no. <laughs> tandem tanker. <laughs> oh, okay. But that's just wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah when, when, you, when, yep. when you, you get a hold of me, I'll also put you in touch with some people that made that same transition that they, they okay. can help you through a lot of that stuff that I know the one, well, the one I was talking about in Colorado, he come out of like some seven, 800 horsepower jacked up cat in a 389 p glider that he had built and it was fire breathing right and and i still remember when he was going over what he wanted to do and i said and he kept wanting to tiptoe into it and i finally said to him are you wanting to go all in or are you wanting to just stick your toe in the water he says no i want to go all in i says all right well then we got to quit talking about this other stuff because you, you're driving me crazy which way do you want to go right yeah i'm i think i'm 50% in. I still have my cool factors I need to do to it, so I haven't quite lost it yet. Uh, I hear you. I like my chrome. <laughs> well, yeah, I still like the chrome, too. That's why I had the chrome grill, but I don't have the visor. And and when I look at the aero stuff, you know, talking about stresses like we were talking about earlier, with all the battles this industry has to fight, we got traffic, weather, government regulations, brokers, shippers, repair bills, with all the battles we have to fight being in this industry to begin with, do we really want to pick a fight with the air itself? True. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the air is there every mile we move that truck, right? So to me, that's I've, so I've you, never understood that, that part of it, why I'd want to pick a fight with air. So you find even like a typical normal stock visor that comes on affects it that much? No, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. So so to give you an example, <laughs> I moved the license plate on my trailer. It used to be below the taillight. And I got out there to Portland okay. with the Freightliner engineers and all that. And I said, hey, I moved my license plate. And they started laughing at me. And they said, well, hold on a minute. Directionally, that's correct. It's sitting there right below the taillights and the airflow and they said what do you figure that's worth i says i don't know it seems like it could be somewhere as low as three hundred dollars a year to maybe seven hundred a year well when they they went and did put it on their computational fluid dynamics real quick didn't get that exacting on it because they don't even build trailers and they said you know based on what we're seeing here in a hundred thousand miles having your license plate below your taillights is probably somewhere between four and seven hundred dollars a year oh okay well you're pretty so, good <laughs> That's what I thought on that, right? Which also, shortly after that, they did the Cascadia Evolution, where they, they started doing little pieces, like there was a little plastic piece below the cab fairing to the other, but they found the air bleeding through there. It caused a situation. And through finding all those really little things that each one of them, when you looked at them, didn't look like anything, added up to a 5% increase in efficiency without doing anything else to the trip. And it was just little things. So, you know, there's no silver bullet. You know, if, if you if you have enough of those little things, I mean, that's why the antennas are integrated into the roof now on the, on the CB antennas. Do they work as good oh, as the other ones? Okay. But no, I can get a I can get across the road to hear what's going on in traffic. Can I talk to somebody halfway across the country? Probably not. But but they're effective, and and I don't have antennas in the air. Well, 
hang your arm out the window and put an antenna in your hand and tell me how your arm feels after a few miles at 65 or 70 mile an hour. Well, that's energy yeah. the truck had to push them antennas through the air, right? So is the antenna big? No. But if you do the antenna, the visor, the hood mirrors, the, the side mirrors with the mirror eye system now, uh, you know, and, and you start finding a little here, a little there, next thing you know, you know, 10 tenths is a mile to the gallon. All right, guys, we got to wrap this up. We got one more call we got to get to before we end the show for the week. Let's go to Wisconsin. Eric, welcome. Gentlemen, hey, I've got a quick question for Henry. Uh, I need to downsize my truck. I'm in a weight sensitive operation now, and I need to get to a day cab. I'm looking at that 2019 model that uh, has 41 rears with the 13 engine in it. I'm wondering, do you need, we need to get an ECM report off that to understand where it's going to drive wise. I guess the reason I ask that is because most of the time I drive 65 to 68, but there's two or three times a week where I need to make the turn and I got to run 72, 75. So I, I just don't want to wind it out on a top end three times a week, especially when I, I'm doing, I'm going to have about 15 to 18% idle time with hydraulic running. So I, I want to minimize how high I run the RPMs on the highway when I need to run, you know, stretch my legs a bit. And, um, you know, the idle time, I, I plan on continuing to use max mileage. I use it in the 12-7 all the time. And so I, I, I don't know if I'm real concerned with that as long as I keep it clean and try to keep the hydraulics running to a minimum. Right. But what did you say the rear end ratio was in it? 241. 241? Yeah. Okay. 241's not what what I call the 241. Uh, to me, that's an intermediate. Comparing it to NASCAR, it's an intermediate track gear. It can do everything pretty good. Is, is it going to be optimal for stretching out your legs? Probably not. But on on a day cab where I'm guessing you're not stretching out your legs real far, real long, it, it's just a good all around gear, especially when you do get down to your lower speeds. The thing I would want you to look at in your operation that doesn't get paid enough attention to, people say, oh, I want to run 72, or oh, I want to run 68, or oh, I want whatever that is, to look at possibly off of your current truck and look at what your true average speed is, which is usually substantially lower than that, and, and use that as the counterbalance. Don't go by either number absolute. But I still remember a truck, they wanted to build them to run 75 mile an hour at 80,000 pounds, and I looked at the truck they were trading in, average speed was, are you ready for this? Seven miles per hour. Well, they wanted to run <laughs> 75 for about an hour a day, and the rest of the time the truck was in town. So, yeah, I can take any truck and run 75, who cared? That was an hour of the day, and, and they missed out on the boat on what they were doing in town with their current right. one. So I, so I focused more on what that truck was doing the majority of the day, and, and it worked out fine. So being you're in a day cab, I'm imagining you're not stretching out your legs quite as much as an over-the-road truck is, but some of them do, like with FedEx and stuff like that. But look at where your true average speed is and use that as a counterbalance. But the 241 is not a bad all-around setup. And it, with a DT12 transmission in there, is that final gear? Is that a direct drive, or do you need more? Yeah, that'll be a, that'll be that'll be a direct. Okay, okay, all right, excellent. So, Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, thanks for the call. 
Um, all right, guys, one thing, we're right on time, but uh, I always like to kind of follow up on current events and stay up with what's going on. Can anybody believe what's going on in Texas right now? And have you seen what Oklahoma just did? I didn't see what Oklahoma did, but I know part of what Texas has been doing. Yeah, so... Especially being I live on the border. Yeah, if you know what's going on in Texas, that's a little crazy. I mean, Texas kind of fighting with the federal government right now. The federal government's telling them you got to take down the concertina. They're saying, no, we're not going to. Um, the federal government takes it down. Texas puts it more back up. That's crazy other enough. Other states are donating towards it. Other, other states are helping Texas well, on that. Well. Oklahoma officially announced Oklahoma is sending National Guard troops to Texas to help fight the federal government. Yeah, there, there, there's, some, there's some other state that sent helicopters down to help, too. I never thought I'd be talking about this, that one state is helping another state fight our federal government. And we're just not talking fighting policies or regulations. We're talking about physically sending National Guard troops. Well, you know, this this has happened before, but just not in our lifetime. Correct. Right. I've read about it. I know history. and, And, you know, when I read about it, it sounded crazy when it was happening then. And now to to be living, it really feels a little crazy. Yep. It's. Yeah, the, yeah. But I, I, from what I heard on the news, I heard a piece of it that there was several states that were jumping behind supporting Texas and their efforts to. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it, but again, it, it was a little shocking to hear Oklahoma say they were sending National Guard troops. And I want to say it was someplace like Wyoming or something like that. Don't quote me on that. That it was well, sending helicopters down to help. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised states like South Dakota, Florida, the red states. I mean, I I can certainly see the red states. But again, it, you know, it's almost like, okay, we sent some equipment over to Ukraine. Well, that's bad enough. The minute we send people, that changes the whole game. That's kind of the way I was looking at this one. You know, yeah, send some helicopters, some equipment, but. Well, they sent the helicopters with the pilots. Well, there you go. Already sending people. Yeah. There you go. All right, that's my final thought for the week. Any anybody else have something they want to close out the week with? Well, uh, you know, once yeah, again, I want to congratulate Volvo. It looks like they they made a nice product offering, and it has me anxious for the next generation of the Cascadia now. So now I have to sit and wait and be an envy till the next gen comes out. They're going to have a tough time beating this one. I'm I'm pretty impressed with that truck, even looks wise. And Alec, what did you I'm have? I'm stressed out about my homework. Well, I'm all stressed out about my homework assignment. <coughs> Go I'm take a cold shower. Volvo has partnered in. <laughs> created some stress for Henry. <laughs> so I think we're even. There you go. All right. Good stuff. What, Thank you, you guys. Homework, Alec? Oh, go ahead, Henry. Yeah. What for homework? Since I, didn't do my home, since I didn't do my homework assignment before, I got tasked with an assignment. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I had done my homework. Well, Henry, you were a part of this assignment too. Remember, it's the index on the three fuel mileage numbers. Oh, maybe you weren't here. Oh no, I wasn't yeah, here. I don't for think that he was one. here. Oh, okay. I, I thought you meant the other don't... one where it was to, to to listen to the. Well, it, you you did get lucky the then because ends, I, yeah, I don't feel like explaining the assignment over again. So I guess you get off this week. Well, we were doing that. I've been doing the shower treatment with the hot 
Yeah. I was de-stressed. All right. We're, we're good. Um, thank you, guys, as always. We will do it again next week. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday for a free-for-all. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.